your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Your nervous system kind of maybe collapses a little bit. Us as broadcasters, like, yee, and everyone on the bench, like, ah, right? We kind of do that whole thing. And I think that that's where a lot of those uh, goaltenders that maybe haven't quite found their groove just yet, I think you could protect them by playing them on the road until they really get their game going. So that's how what I expect Craig Bruby to do. I think you can go back with Billy tomorrow night, and then you're going to hit this New York trip. And I would expect maybe to see Bennington twice out of the next four games. That was Joey Vitale with us yesterday alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio out at the Centene Community Ice Center. The Blues are skating this morning. It was an optional, but Alex, we do have an update on who's going to be starting in net tonight. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Who is going to be starting in net tonight? Charlie. So is going to be starting in net tonight. That was that was worse. I know Tanner's excited about it. I'm excited about it. Alex, are you excited about it? Yeah, because you got another great goaltender in between the pipes that can help the Blues win. I got no problem with Billy Huso, just like I got no problem with Jordan Biddington. Both guys win you hockey games. That's why they both play goal. Kind of. What are you talking about? Bennington got you a victory against Philly. That Ville was a hard-nosed victory. Has done a great job of getting the Blues a whole heck of a lot of wins this year. Jordan Bennington has struggled to do that for much of the season, but he did perform very well, and there is no taking away anything that Jordan Bennington did against Philly. That was a great game by Jordan Bennington. He deserved all the credit in the world for the way that he performed in that one. He looked like himself again, and that brought up the question of, okay, do you just stick with him? Do you go back to him at home? where so far this season, he has not performed particularly well. Meanwhile, Ville Husso has been outstanding on home ice. He's 8-1 and as a starter this year at home with a 9.41 save percentage. He's giving up 1.7 goals on average per game at home. So that's the way that I was leaning. Joey Vitale said that's the way he would lean. We talked with Chris Kerber earlier this week. He said he could see it going either way, but he'd probably lean going towards Ville Husso. Jamie Rivers on the fast lane. He said, I'd, I'd probably give it back to Husso. I'm glad they're going this way. I think what we're watching right now is Craig Berube is continuing to be a man of his word. He told us he would go with the guy that has the hot hand. And you know what he's doing? He's riding the guy with the hot hand. Maybe not coming off of uh, Tuesday night's game against Philly, but the guy that has continuously all season long been outstanding at home, 
he's getting the last home game before they go on a Ford game road trip, and I think it's the right choice. Yeah, I mean, you asked me before we started the show, what does this tell you? To be honest with you, I have no idea because I, I, I thought it would be Jordan Bennington. Everything Craig Berube said after that victory against the Philadelphia Flyers led me to believe that they got the confidence back. Now they're going to try and build off of it, and they decided not to. But looking at their numbers, you mentioned Ville Husso's numbers at home compared to the road, which are, are, I mean, he played 10 games at home, nine games on the road, so they're a little bit different. Jordan Biddington, surprisingly, a little bit better on the road than what he is at home. Now, the goals against don't look great because it's 3.1 at home, 3.3 on the road, but I look at the save percentage. 90% on the save percentage compared to the 89%, which significantly slightly better on the road. It sounds like it's slight, but that's like the difference between a 250 batting average and a 265 batting average in in Major League Baseball, which is pretty significant over the course of the year. So I think what you're looking at right now, which if I'm not mistaken, so you've played 50 games on the season. Tonight will be game number 27 on home, and then they still are they played 24 games on the road. So you're looking at probably three more road games than home games. I think what you're looking at is you're going to be looking at the rest of the season probably splits between these two teams. You're going to see Jordan Bennington on the road, Ville Husso at home, and then when there's back-to-backs, that's where you decide where you're going to go with this. You play Ville Husso in this one tonight, and then you look at this upcoming four-game road trip where I would imagine Bennington's going to play against the Chicago Blackhawks. Ville Husso's going to probably play against the New York Rangers, and then Bennington gets the Islanders, Husso gets the Devils, and then you're playing 500 hockey with both your goaltenders. That makes the most sense right now. Like it or not, if people wanted Billy Husso and they got it, if people wanted Jordan Bennington to build off of it, you need points because last night the Nashville Predators won again. And they're four points behind the Blues with two games in hand for St. Louis. Everybody's winning in the Central Division right now, and you have to continue to pick up points. So, this makes sense going back to Ville Husso. I could have seen it either way, but you want to keep both cold tenders hot. Yeah, we've mentioned, we've compared it to the situation with Jake Allen and Jordan Bennington, but the reverse of that spot in 2019, that's basically what we're watching take place right before our very eyes. Jake Allen in 2019, all of his last 12 starts that year were on on the road. That's, I think, you're, I don't think it's going to be quite as cut and dry as it was in 2019. I, I think it's a little different because... I have a feeling Bennington, like if Bennington is able to work his way back into the groove, if he ends up looking good in his next three or four starts, I think he can regain the starters net. Especially where I think you have three extra road games over home games. Whereas with Jake Allen in 2019, he just lost his job and he was not going to regain it no matter what he did because Bennington was playing so incredibly well. Even if Ville Husso sustains his current play, if Bennington gets back to where we thought he would be, I think Bennington will regain the starters net. So it's slightly different than what we saw in 2019, but the plan right now is the same. And I wanted to bring up the plan because Craig Berube just spoke to the media out at practice today. And Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic, tweeted this out. He says Berube told the, the media that the Blues had their goalie rotation set going into the Philadelphia game. At that point in time, Huso was scheduled to get the start tonight against Buffalo, and they're, quote, sticking to their plan. Kudos. Credit to this coaching staff. Credit to David Alexander, Craig Berube, everybody involved in coming up with these plans. I think that players respect this. I think you gain a lot of appreciation and respect from your players when you tell them 
here's what our expectations are, here's what our plan is, and regardless of what happens, you don't deviate from that plan. I, I think this is the right way to go about it. I think it is why Craig Berube has so much respect from his players. I think this is a big deal for them. So credit to Craig Berube, credit to this coaching staff for sticking to their plan. Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to see what the response is here because now you got goalie competition, which I think competition is always healthy. There's no controversy. It's competition. Both guys want the net. Both guys are going to get the net. I'm with you. I think Bennington, by the end of this season, will retain that net, and probably by the playoffs, if his confidence continues, you'll see him the guy in the playoffs. But you're going to have to have Billy Huso steal your hockey games right now. And the good news is if Billy Huso continues to perform well, if Bennington falters at any point, then you have a guy that you can go back to. You've seen it this season to where he hasn't played for two weeks straight and then comes into the net and steals you a hockey game. So Craig Berube and his coaching staff, they continue to show why they work so well with these younger players and how they can continue to grow them into NHL players because what they say, they stick to it and the players appreciate it. So that's the goalie situation tonight. You'll hear that on 101 ESPN. Alex will have your pregame coverage coming up at 6 o'clock. Blues versus the Sabres. The other thing you're going to see tonight is Jordan Cairo trying to get back on track. And Alex, yesterday, Craig Berube was on the fast lane. The whole conversation is worth your time. Check it out, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on their podcast page. But I thought his answer on what has happened with Jordan Cairo since the All-Star break, a, a span in which he has just one goal and two assists. And by the way, against Philly, he had just one shift in the final 12 minutes of the game. The guys asked Craig Berube, hey, what, what's going on there with Kairou? How are you handling this situation? I know earlier today, yesterday, Craig Berube had a long conversation with Kairou after practice had completed. Here's what Craig Berube had to say about that situation. Yeah, expectations. This is what the team needs, and this is what you need to do to be a good player for us. That's what it boils down to. And uh, uh, we always talk team and uh, what's important for the team, but on the other side of things, you know, uh, you know what I try to help them out is, listen, we're there for you, whatever you need, you know. Um, there's going to be, you know, I tell them flat out, you know, I'm going to be hard on you because that's my job. And I need to be hard on you because I need, I need you to be a good player for the team. And he knows that. And, you know, and for him to have success individually, this, these are the things he has to do. Uh, he needs to get back to skiing. His, his, that's the key to his game is his feet, his ability with his speed right now he's not using his speed enough you know he's he's getting over the blue line with the puck but there's no speed and then you know you're going to turn it over he's aloof with the puck and remember what he said with the montreal canadians game you're just too loose with it right now got to play a little bit more contained style of hockey for craig berube and this is again why he is so successful in coaching younger players. Curbs has talked about it. We've talked about it. Think of the think of the examples that have gone through what Craig Berube's doing right now with Jordan Cairo. Vladimir Tarasenko, Alexander Steen, Ivan Barbashev, Oscar Sundquist, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo this season. He has done this with multiple players throughout his tenure as the head coach for the Blues, and they've all responded well. My bigger question is how does Jordan Cairo respond for this one? That's what I'm going to be curious about because whether he's banged up or not, that's going to be another factor into this. We don't know because he was missing for practice one game and then played the next game. But 
you got a young kid who is flying high right now on the national spotlight, had himself a nice winter classic performance, had himself a point-per-game season, coming off of the All-Star game where he was the fastest skater and scored five points in all of his games. You're riding high. Now you kind of get knocked back down to earth once you enter the NHL second half of the season where teams are playing you a little bit more difficult. You can't play the all-star pond hockey style of hockey in this system. It's got to be the Craig Berube north-south style. That's what I would imagine he's talking with him about. I would bet that Jordan Kyrie is going to have himself a nice game tonight after the conversation with Craig Berube because every time he does this, the players usually succeed because he has a way of communicating with his players. I think that it also helps him that out of the next five games for the Blues, four of them are against teams that are significantly under 500. You got Buffalo 12 games under, Chicago eight games under, then you've got the Islanders. That's going to be a tougher, t- uh, or excuse me, the Rangers is going to be a tougher test, but then you've got the Islanders a game under 500 and New Jersey Devils 10 games under 500. This is a really good stretch of hockey for Jordan or excuse me for Jordan Cairo to get back on track so hopefully he's able to do so we'll see that tonight against the Buffalo Sabres with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley it's 11 15 your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers an officially licensed Rolex jeweler coming up in about 15 minutes we'll speak with Mike McKenna former NHL goalie and current NHL analyst for the daily Faceoff. want to get his thoughts on the split that is taking place right now between Bennington and Huso. we'll do that with the former goalie Mike McKenna but coming up next Tanner is super excited about everything that's happened over the last 24 hours with major Major League Baseball's negotiations for the CBA. He'll tell you why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. frankly haven't gone anywhere you know they are inching along like a snail at this point and someone's got to make a big move and it's just a staring contest and neither side seems particularly compelled or interested in blinking right now which makes me and, and i hate to say this uh not not very optimistic about the season starting on march 31st and quite pessimistic when it comes to the potential of losing games So that's good. Uh, According to ESPN, union sources have indicated that from their perspective, their owners uh, didn't have much new to say on any of the issues yesterday in negotiations between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. The sides are, are expected to meet again today. And now there are just three days left before the league's Monday deadline. And according to ESPN, quote, Frustration seems to be mounting on both sides as they wait to make other for the other side to make a breakthrough proposal. The league believes that it has moved in the union's direction on several key issues, but doesn't believe that it has seen the same movement in return. End quote. That comes from ESPN. My own kind of uh, editorializing here. I would say that the union believes the same in reverse. So, Alex. We're all kind of waiting for a breakthrough here. We're waiting for something to change the way that these two sides are negotiating. And there's really no reason for optimism. So much so that Jeff Passan, whose voice you heard coming back from break, is basically completely out of any sort of optimism right now. And he tweeted earlier this morning, do not believe the lie that baseball teams are not extremely profitable. 
They are, and the financials that have been released by the Atlanta Braves in recent years illustrate that. They received a $104 million profit in 2021, which breaks down to a $6 million per game revenue stream. As a business, baseball is superb. Somebody came back at him and said, hey, yeah, Jeff, that's great, but 2021 was when the Braves won the World Series. Of course they were a profitable venture in 2021. He said, okay, I will go ahead and break down what the Braves have brought in in non-championship years. In 2018, $88 million in profits. 2019, $54 million in profits. 2020, they reported a $53 million loss. Even if you take that at face value, Alex, over a three-year stretch from 2018 to 2020, non-championship years for the Braves, they brought in an operating income, a profit, of $89 million. You add in what they did last year, that is nearly $200 million for one team in profits over the last four seasons. Yes, there was one real bad year. Do you expect a once in a, a every 100 year pandemic to take place in, again in the near future? Knock on wood, fingers crossed. There is no BKO here. Oh, no. Hopefully not. Oh, so, yeah, no. baseball is a good business. Kind of Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to much matter in these negotiations well, because the owners losses. continue to suggest that they need to win. And yesterday it was Buster only who told us he knows, we all know, the owners are going to win this negotiation. They're going to dunk on the players. It's a matter of whether or not they taunt after they do so. Well, I feel like they're already kind of taunting with everything that's happened and what we've learned about these negotiations, especially from a couple of days ago when they laid it out on the table and said, we're not paying you once the games get canceled. So now it just seems like the owners are waiting to get to that deadline and just kind of biding their time until the players cave in and it sure as hell doesn't seem like the players are going to be caving in anytime soon so it does feel like the taunting has already begun and I don't really know where you can go from here because I asked Buster yesterday is this rock bottom and in a way he kind of he kind of polished that turd but there is this is rock bottom for both of these sides this is rock bottom for the fans and I'm not sure where you go from here because it doesn't seem like, I mean, they've been meeting every day since Monday. They've met every day for five days, three-hour meetings. Oh, look, at we're, we're meeting for three hours. They have, they have inched along slower than a snail with this. This isn't even the tortoise and the hare. This is beyond that. So I don't know where there could be any optimism from here. February 28th is going to come and go. Games are going to be canceled. That's where the taunting's going to set in. And when the taunting sets in, that's where I think the players get even more pissed off, which is why this is going to lead even further into the regular season. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've basically reached a point where I'll guarantee by Monday they're not going to have a deal in place and we're going to start seeing regular season games uh, being canceled. Now, the, whether what it'll come down to is how long are the players willing to fight, and, that, and that's basically what this comes down to. I think, BK, you mentioned it yesterday. This is what the owners have played for this entire time was – they know at some point the players are going to cave. It's just a matter of when. And if that means the owners have to miss a month of the season, I don't think they really care because then they can make sure they win the CBA and they'll get a, get a better deal by just holding out and waiting for the players to cave. So it, it's more of just a matter of time from when the players cave. I, I think this is the strongest they've been. I think they're going to hold out for some time. I, I still am going to go with my prediction that I had when this whole thing started in December. I, I think we, I truly believe we're going to miss at least the first month of the regular season. I hope you're wrong. I do. Too. I really do. I I don't know how anybody can though hear what Tanner just said and be like, no, there's no way they miss that many games. Like at this point, how how could you argue in reverse? All you're doing is just it's blind faith 
at this point, believing that they're going to get something done. Alex, they've negotiated all week this week. We are now on Friday. They, they have the weekend. That's it. If they don't get a deal done by the end of this weekend, we're going to miss games. Like, flat out, that is the expectation now, is that you will miss some amount of games. They haven't even started negotiating yet the single biggest issue that remains between the two sides. They have not touched the CBT, the um, competitive balance tax, which is the number one issue, the number one place where they are unbelievably divided. They haven't touched it. They haven't even discussed it since the beginning of the week. So if you haven't even touched that yet, how in God's name am I supposed to believe that you're going to be able to get some sort of a deal done by the end of the weekend? I know deadlines make deals. That seems unbelievably tenuous when it comes to these negotiations. We also got this from the text line from the 314. And the Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. Acting like a three-year return of $80 million on a billion-dollar investment is good is insanity. Those owners lost money on their investment every year that they were involved in ownership compared to anything else that they would have put a billion dollars into. If you guys can tell me just about anything in the world that anybody could invest in that is a one-time investment that essentially guarantees you, barring a catastrophic once-in-every-hundred-years, once-every-four-generations event, a return on investment of... 80 plus million dollars per year. If you can show me anything else that does that. Facebook back in 2000. That is reasonable to go out there and attain. If you can show me that, I would love to see it. Being an owner of a baseball team comes with a number of different perks. You are in any individual town, one of the single most sought after people in that town. Like if you are the owner of the St. Louis Cardinals, the DeWitt family here in St. Louis is St. Louis royalty. Like, that's just true. You are somebody that, like, if you are a business person in St. Louis, you need to have a good relationship with the DeWitts because they allow you to have other partnerships in town. Like, going to the Cardinals games here in St. Louis, if you've got a suite there, that is a place where you schmooze if you are a businessman. And it is very advantageous to be the one that owns that team. Here in St. Louis. It helps you in other business ventures. If you can show me another line of work where you've got that kind of a perk that comes as just kind of a side benefit, I would love to hear about it. Being a baseball owner is a great business. And oh, by the way, you can legitimately convince fans that it's not. Like, you can lie to their faces and tell them that this is not a profitable venture, and there are a certain segment of people that will just totally agree with you. I don't this know is who a could great agree business with that. venture, I don't know man. who could agree with that and believe that. There, there's, I mean, there's no way that and this, you can I, I want to be clear. I, I should probably say this as well because it probably sounds like I'm talking down on the DeWitt family. The DeWitt family is a really good ownership group, 100%. and also they've done a really good job with their team. I'm just saying, like, it – it's a really good business venture for them to be the owners of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I just th- there's no way, shape, or form that you can look at that and say, well, that's not profitable to be a part of. Everything about it screams profitable, which is why these negotiations are so frustrating, which is why, frankly, and I know you're really high on this, BK, you got to enter the salary cap conversation. Yeah. I mean, you have to get to the salary cap because no more of this fiddling around of, oh, well, we don't think it's this, and we, you know, we're not going to show you these documents of how much money's in this spot. That needs to be done. Everything needs to be on the table with this. This is one of those conversations where you're in an argument and you're going in circles, 
and you just need to step away from it and then come back at another time. But when you come back to that, you need to lay everything out on the table because it's basically ish or get off the pot, right? It's either we fix this or we're breaking up. And there's no breaking up with this other unless you're going to skip the entire season. So I know this is your this is your bar stool here. This is your soapbox here, BK. But I'm with you. The salary cap has to be it has to be talked about now. It, it does, and the players are uh, they, they don't want to do this. They they don't want to be in a situation where they're agreeing to some sort of a salary cap. But uh, eventually, they're going to have to. I mean, you look at where you're at right now. The average payroll last year in Major League Baseball was around 105 million dollars. You can do the quick math on that. That's like let's call it $4 billion. The industry is a getting close to an $11 billion industry. You're getting eerily close to being around 35% in terms of the split between the players and the owners. Other sports are closer to 50. And that's with a salary cap in terms of the baseball-related uh, revenues and how much of that is going to the players. You're, you're right around 35 38% right now. Other sports are closer to 48 to 50. And that's... That's the issue for the players right now. They're trying to figure out how do we get a greater portion of the pie. Well, unfortunately, the best way to do so is the number one thing you're unwilling to negotiate for. So as much as I've uh, – it probably sounds like I'm super pro player in this segment because I've, t- I've talked about how it's, it's a very profitable and good business venture to go into being an owner in baseball. The owner the, – the players are not blameless in this. It's completely off the table for them to even consider anything approaching a salary cap, even though the little secret is they already agreed to one, guys. <laughs> they agreed to one in the what? last negotiations when yeah. they allowed the CBT to go into effect, which essentially is serving right now as a hard cap on the top. They're getting all of the bad of a salary cap without any of the good, which is implementing some sort of a salary floor. So that's the next thing that should be implemented for baseball. Unfortunately, the players view it as a complete non-starter. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, current NHL analyst for the Daily Faceoff. We'll talk to him about the split between Ville Husso and Jordan Bennington down the stretch next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. And right now, as we do each and every Friday, we are joined by Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now the NHL analyst for the Daily Faceoff. He joins us via the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, my man. How you doing today? Doing pretty good, of course. A usual Friday. I've already been on the ice at Kirkwood and uh, getting going here. I've actually been writing a little piece on some of the jerseys in the National Hockey League. I'll oh. have out later today at dailyfaceoff.com. And I can safely say that I think the Blues do have some of the best jerseys in the league. But I've got some targets on my list, and I'm going to be shredding them on this article. And it's it's kind of, it's almost kind of I feel bad writing it, but I realize you know what I got the bully pulpit here, man, and maybe I can make a positive change in the hockey world because you guys did you guys see last night? Yes, that game between the Canucks and the Flames and the beauty that was on the ice in the jerseys. Oh, 
It was see, gorgeous. See, it was beautiful, I and it could be like that every game. See, Mike, I don't like that that uh, Vancouver Canucks jersey. I like the the Todd Bertuzzi, uh, Marcus Naslin Vancouver Canucks jersey. You're crazy. You're crazy, That's, man. I like you, ones. but you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Old school reference. Mike, God I had bless a, you, Mike. I'm going to be honest with everybody, and this is going to surprise everybody in our audience right now. Didn't see the game last night between the Canucks yeah, and the Flames. He's probably <laughs> watching college football highlights. <laughs> Wasn't watching the game. I was watching the news last night. Um, this is incredible. This is an all-time matchup with the jersey colors. It was. It really, and I think anybody that sees the, those Canucks jerseys, you're thinking of Pavel Bure flying down the wing, Kirk McLean with his iconic setup that Thatcher Demko replicated for the game. It was gorgeous, but I'm, I'm so happy that the Flames have gone back to that traditional color scheme yes. that they have, that they won a Stanley Cup with, with Al McInnes and Mike Vernon in the 80s, Lanny McDonald. Yellow, red, white, that's all they needed. I don't know why they ever put black in those jerseys to begin with, but the 90s were weird for everybody. It's just some teams have taken longer to get out of that funk and get with the times. I'm going to let you have uh, a little bit of room for most of your article, Mike, but I got to ask, who's your least favorite jersey in the league right now? Well, the Canucks are up there. I mean, those things are, you know, they've gone through so many different iterations. Like, I think they're okay now, but those black ones are just so good. I think the worst ones to me are the Oilers. They've got a glaringly orange jersey. And then they've got a navy jersey with a burnt orange and no white on it. Like it's a team with no identity, and their jersey doesn't have any identity. And they won what seems like four thousand Stanley Cups wearing one of the greatest colorways of all time. Just go back to it. What's wrong with them? They got the rubric. Just go wear what Gretzky wore. Then maybe you'll be good again. Mike, you like the '90s jerseys, so what I'm hearing is you want the uh, the the Blues '90s clown jerseys back. Am I right? <laughs> Isn't it? Wasn't it funny how when they dusted those babies off, what two years ago now? I think uh-huh. maybe three. That everybody loved them because it was the novelty of it. It was almost like they were so brutal that we all looked at it and went, "Man, those were amazing." So, like, I'm cool with those coming back every now and then for the fun of it. And I actually think the red reverse retro was really well done. But like I say, I like where the Blues are at now with the regular home and away. And the third jerseys, the ones they wore at the Heritage Classic, those are just money. I love the combination of the team now. Also, bring back the white home jerseys. Am I right, Mike? Totally agree. And for for people listening, the reason why that went away was because of the advent of third jerseys. And because the home team, if you wore, the home team so often wore their third jersey. Well, the third jersey was always dark. That's why the visiting team would always bring white on the road. I think the equipment managers are better that better than that in today's game. They can handle bringing jerseys if they have two separate ones. I like white at home. I wish we'd go back to that. We're talking to Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now an NHL analyst for the Daily Faceoff. That's where you'll find his article later on today of the best and worst jerseys in the NHL. Mike, I did want to ask you about the guy that's going to be in uniform in net for the Blues tonight. It's going to be Ville Husso. We weren't sure how this was going to go after Jordan Bennington's impressive start earlier this week against Philadelphia. Were you surprised at all by the decision to go back to Ville Husso tonight? No, I'm not, because Villy's really carried the mail for the Blues. And at this point, you're still trying to get Bennington good starts at a good pace and let him keep working on things. I would expect Bennington to go on Sunday against Chicago uh, almost for sure, no matter what. I think really what may settle in here, if Bennington continues to play well and if Huso plays well, 
is we could see something of a rotation. And I don't know if this is going to be an exact one-for-one type of thing, but it is a strength of the Blues to have both goaltenders going. And, you know, Billy Huso could use another game. He hasn't played in almost a week here. That's how long it's been. It's been a really light schedule for the Blues. You don't want to let a goalie sit for the better part of a week and a half without playing. So I think the timing of that makes sense, but it was a major step in the in the right direction for Jordan Bennington, especially some of the saves he made early in the first period were big, but as the game progressed, he was able to keep it going. And I know that that's been something of a tough part for him when I watched this year was how was the second period? How was the third period? He was good throughout the course of that game, but it was also kind of a laugher, guys. Like, it was good for him to get that game in Philly. Good vibes from 2019. I had a front row ticket to that game. I was the backup for the Flyers. I remember it firsthand. Sometimes you get a little juice in a city where you've played well previously, and it looked like Benner had that going on Tuesday night. Mike, is there any concern, though, of not playing him in back-to-backs that you know possibly he loses that confidence to where if you make him sit in this one and he doesn't play till Chicago? No, I don't think so. I mean, he's been through the ringer. He's been up and down through the American League and back to the NHL. And uh, I don't see that as being a detriment to Bennington. I think, if anything, you're just going back to a couple nights ago and thinking, yeah, man, I was back on my game. I feel good about it now. It's not a time thing. It's not that he's going to take four days off before he gets another chance and he's going to forget how to play or how to carry confidence. And and let's be honest here, guys. Like This is something of an easier stretch for the Blues. This is good timing like we talked about last week. Philly, Buffalo, Chicago. You get a mix of any of these games, and it's good. And like I say, I would expect Bennington on Sunday. Can't ever guarantee it. But I think there's a really good chance of it. Yeah, I think that's kind of how they go as well. We were talking about this earlier, Mike, and we think it's going to go two for Huso, two for Bennington in the next four games. And you could split it up however you want. But uh, you've also got the back-to-back next weekend between the Islanders Mm -hmm. and New Jersey. So the schedule actually kind of works out really well where it almost forces their hand even if they didn't want to go this route. So that makes a lot of sense. The other guy that I wanted to ask you about today is the other Jordan with Jordan Kyrou. He didn't have his greatest game against Philly. He ended up having just one shift in the last 12 minutes of that game. And he's been on a little bit of a struggle since the All-Star game. One goal, two assists since then. And yesterday, Craig Burby was asked about it. And he basically said, listen, listen, he's he's not skating right now. And we need him to stop with the turnovers. But they believe in him. They think it's it's going to be fine. What have you seen since the All-Star game from Jordan Kyrou? And uh, how do you feel about the way that Craig Berube since then has handled Jordan Kyrou? You know, I, it's kind of a mixed bag, and, and I think part of that's just the natural come down from an all-star event. But that lighter schedule of the Blues probably hasn't played into his strength very much because he's like once he gets rolling, it makes a difference to his game. He starts to string them together. I liked him against Toronto. I mean, how many times were Jordan Cairo's feet going downhill towards the net against the Maple Leafs? I actually thought he was really good in that game. And, and a lot of it, like you can kind of tell with, with him, when he's generating shots on goal, that's when he's at his best. And Montreal, Ottawa, didn't happen as much against them. And then in Philly, like I, I thought Cairo was good for the first half of the game to the extent that he possessed the puck. But it wasn't just Cairo, it was the Blues in general. It felt like they were constantly searching for something more once they entered Philadelphia's zone. Now, Philly was clogging the middle of the ice. They weren't making passes easy. But the Blues kept trying to force things. And that's not Cairo's game. East to West isn't his game. His game is attack the net, go. Use that speed. And if you can make a play from the hash marks down below, we've seen him and Thomas connect before other line mates, that happens. But it shouldn't be happening at the top of the circle as often as you saw against Philadelphia. 
And I think Barube's just sending a message here. Hey, man, get back to your game. Just skate. Move those feet. When that happens, he generates shots. Things go towards the net. Uh, Mike, a, a successful road trip, and I think it was a successful road trip, not because of the points, but also because that was a really good stretch by the defense. And I know a lot of people in St. Louis, a lot of people nationally have talked a lot about, you know, the Blues making a trade to upgrade that left-sided de- defenseman to play with Colton Pareko. But are you starting to see growth between Pareko and Mikola, and, and are you starting to believe in that pairing? Well, I believe and I see growth, but I'm really not sure if you're going to win, win and contend for Stanley Cup that Mikola is quite there yet. You know, I, I think if the Blues can't pick up a defenseman to put on that side, if, you know, if Sherratt or Giordano or whoever else you may find to go potentially on that left side with Pareko isn't available, I mean, you can run with Mikola and hope that it goes well. But I think there's a little bit of a hesitation there. And I do like his game. I do like the strategy he's making, but there's still times where I'm not sure he makes the most judicious decisions on the ice and ends up in places a little bit too far down, relying on Pareko to cover up for him. And, you know, it has been better recently, but really it's a tough spot to be in for Mikola too, because Pareko is such a dependable workhorse. Like they take a lot of draws in the defensive zone and that's not easy for a young defenseman in the league. It's gotten better, but you know, you look at the goal shares five on five, they've been on the ice for a lot more goals against than goals for. And, Again, it's getting better, but you know that's a concern, especially when you look at Krug and Falk. I mean, 5-on-5, five five, Krug and Falk, they've been on for 37 goals, 4-13 against. You know, that's that's different than Perico and Mikola. Again, more offensive zone starts for Krug and Falk, but they're a much more dynamic combination as of right now. So I'm not sure if Mikola is going to fit on that top line, top defensive pairing come playoff time. I think there's a chance of it. But I'm sure that Doug Armstrong is looking for something maybe as an upgrade for this season. Maybe not in the future, but definitely for the rest of this in playoffs. And we're going to talk about that coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. I tend to be on the same line of thinking as Mike McKenna. We'll discuss that further coming up at the top of the hour. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk with you again next week, my friend. Sounds good. It flies by, doesn't it, guys? Man, I just... It's, I can't get over it. 20 minutes goes by like nothing. So enjoy, yeah, the, enjoy the game tonight. Buffalo in town. There's a team. Absolutely. <laughs> they, they are They are certainly an NHL hockey team. That I could agree with you on. He's Mike McKenna. Check out his work over at the Daily Faceoff. Follow him on Twitter at Mike McKenna 56. Blues versus Sabres tonight at 7 o'clock for the puck drop. Alex will have your pregame coverage right here on 101 ESPN. You're home for the Blues at six o'clock coming up next six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service tax line for the segment that we always flip around on a friday morning afternoon eh, we're not Mid- afternoon yet so midday late morning ask us anything six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service tax line ask us anything coming up next here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're nerding out over here. Me and Alex are, are looking up some of the hard data. 
calls the Nerd Bros. We'll get it for you coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, it's time for Ask Us Anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for Ask Us Anything. Let's start with this one from the 314. Hey, boys, I listened to the Buster Only interview on the podcast yesterday. I thought it was really good. By the way, if anybody else missed it, check it out on the podcast page. I agree. I thought it was outstanding. And that was mostly because Buster, in my opinion, is one of the best in the business. I agree. I thought my questions were phenomenal he said thanks for doing it who are your favorite national analysts to interview alex who would be on that list for you Man, national analysts to interview boy this is tough because we've done a lot of them like i know he's not an analyst but doc emmerich still is one of my favorite persons to interview in general just because of the stories there um you know rick tockett's really good he's great uh, Ray Ferraro is awesome. Always wanted to get him on and never really had the opportunity to. Honestly, Buster Olney is up there for me. I, I, Buster Olney, one, he, he seems like the kind of guy you'd have an interview with at the bar just talking. But two, he gives you nuggets you didn't ask for. Like if you missed our interview with him, again, check it out on the podcast page. But like, he just threw out there one rumor that I'm hearing. It's like, we didn't even ask you for that, Buster. And you're throwing that at us. So... I can't. I don't know if I can single one guy out. It's just those guys that are willing to give you a lot. Like Buster Olney, Jeff Merrick, who I interviewed for pregame, is like that. Um, those would be two guys that come out, come out, come to the top of my mind. I definitely think Buster's up there on guys I've heard that get interviewed. I, I also really like uh, Tim Kirchin at ESPN. He's always yeah. a great interview as well. Uh, Kylie McDaniel's been good every recent times we've had him on as well. I've always enjoyed hearing him. Jim Bowden's definitely another one up there for me. Uh, I think Terry Collins. I, I, he's not much of a – we've only had him on three times, but he's one of my favorites in terms of just getting his baseball knowledge when we talk to him for interviews. I would agree with all of those. Eduardo Perez is a guy yeah. that I really enjoy talking with, the former Cardinals player, now ESPN broadcaster. He's going to be on the main – broadcast this year for ESPN Sunday Night Baseball from what I understand I think he's going to be amazing I've always really appreciated the way that he's able to break down the game and he's so honest like I remember last year a game that the Cardinals played I forget who they were playing against but it was a game that was on ESPN I think it was a Wednesday night game it might it was the Braves game actually when they were just walking the world their bullpen came in and it was just walk after walk after walk and it was Eduardo Perez and Tim Kirkjian were on this broadcast and they both, at, at, at a certain point in time, were like, St. Louis has smart baseball fans. They know what they're watching right now. This is not good enough. So I, I've always appreciated how honest he is uh, with his breakdowns. Keith Law. Football. Yeah. I actually do like Keith Law. I think he's really good. I know that there are some that disagree with that notion. Um, Jason football, Stark's a good one, too. Yeah, Jason, Jason Stark. He's outstanding. Uh, football related. There's a guy by the name of Kevin Clark. He writes for the ringer. I think he's the best football writer in the country right now. Uh, I always enjoy getting his insights. He's more of a big picture guy. He talks about team building, stuff like that. So I really enjoy talking with him. Uh, Brian Baldinger is another NFL related guest that I always enjoy. I think Ryan Clark is one of the best ones doing it right now. And I've talked to uh, Dan Orlovsky a few times. I think he's really good. Him I've never gotten to interview him, but I really want to because I, I love his energy on, on uh, Get Up. That duo uh, with Ryan Clark and Dan Orlovsky, I don't think you're going to find a better breakdown duo anywhere in the country right now than what they're doing with football. Eddie Olchek's so another really good one on the hockey side. 
He's yep. really, really good and really intelligent with what he brings. And Darren Pang, I mean, look, Darren Pang, we get him locally, which is such an honor. But nationally, like uh, Greg Amzinger, who was in studio yesterday, you know, he stopped by. By the way, say, he's another one. I think Greg Amzinger yeah, is amazing. 100%. What he does with the morning show every week, we we make sure to seek out what his interview, what he says in his oh, interviews, yeah. because there's always some sort of a nugget that comes from. But this. he even stopped by and he's like, I love Panger. And, yep. and I mean, he's like, he always just like you can you can. It's residual the way that he loves the game, and everyone loves the game being around him. So, I mean, it is truly an honor that we get Darren Pang here in St. Louis locally because on the national stage, he's a huge person to talk to. Uh, college football-wise, by the way, I really enjoy listening to uh, Kirk Herbstreet. Yeah. I, I think Kirk Herbstreet's outstanding, so he, he's another guy that I would throw into this as well. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618 for Ask Us Anything. Guys, can you explain the difference between a strike and a lockout for Major League Baseball? Yeah, it's pretty simple. So a lockout comes when the owners have decided that the current agreement has basically come to an end and they are going to lock out the players in order to spur the negotiations to start a new labor agreement. So that is coming from the owner's side of things. A strike is when the players are striking against the current labor agreement. That's what could technically take place. If there wasn't a lockout right now, if they decided tomorrow, they could do this technically, we're going to start spring training under the old CBA. It's just going to, we're going to go ahead and start this anew under the old CBA. Owners could, they have the power to do that tomorrow if they wanted to. The problem with that is the owners have a fear that players would then strike in season because they have the power to do so in order to get a new labor agreement. So that's the difference. One is put on by the owners. The other side is put on by the players. We are currently under a lockout because it is mandated by the owner's side of things. 65780 is the comfort service tax line for Ask Us Anything from the 636. Guys, if you had to pick a place to go get a great steak in St. Louis for dinner, where would you go? Um, Alex, if you had a date night, let's say, and your wife said, let's go get a really nice well, steak dinner here question, in St. Man. Louis, where would you Tito, go? where would you take yourself out for a nice steak dinner? You know Tanner's going to Outback. Applebee's, yeah. I was going to go there. <laughs> um, Getting a little frisky on a Friday. <laughs> for me, gross. For me, it would be Favazas on the hill. They got an incredible steak mudega if you go down there and, and, and try that one out. That would be my place to go. But Pietro's also has a really good steak mudega. Um, I'm all about the steak mudegas. I don't know why. It usually ties in with the Italian restaurant. So that would be my pick, Favazas on the hill. <sighs> this is a good one. Um, there's a place called, called Carnivore that, that's really good. I, I always enjoy going there. You can't go wrong with... If you wanted to just go with like an Italian spot, you, you can typically get a good steak there. I'm not, I got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not a huge um, steak guy. Like when I go out, it's more for seafood or if we're getting a really good pasta or um, just like a typical, like up, more upscale American style meal. Yeah. So I'm not the guy to go to for this. Um, but those, that, those are a few places that I've. If I had the option to go out, like, yeah, I'm Twisted Tree is another good one here in St. Louis. I'm with you, though. Like, if I'm going out, I'm going out to get 
something different. If I'm going to make a steak, I'm going to grill it at home. I'd prefer to just grill steaks at home rather than go out. But there's some really good spots around here that make the steaks better. But if I'm going out, like you said, it's seafood. It's something special where I'm going out on a date night. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. If you guys have any questions uh, for By the us way, Jamie Rivers in. is not happy with us that we snubbed him on the national analyst. So Jamie Rivers is number one. But Jamie's one. not a national analyst. Jamie's number one on my list. I love Jamie Rivers. Jamie, Jamie, no, Jamie's number one on my list. I would consider Jamie interview. to be a good friend of mine. Um, he texted back. He said, okay, friend. If, if he was considered to be a, a national an analyst, he would absolutely be on there. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Uh, last thing here, if you guys could have any car, if you could buy any car, what would you want? T-Bone? <laughs> oh, boy. I would probably go, I have no idea, like, much about it. There's only one it. proper answer for this. I would probably, I would want a Tesla, because my uncle has one, and I've gotten to dr- drive it before, and it was actually just a, a heck of an experience. So I would, I would want a Tesla, if anything. Mine's simple. And I've had this dream since I was a little kid, and it'll Horse never and buggy. happen. Nope. Horse and buggy? What is this? The I don't know. 70s? I thought maybe you were going to talk about how you had a great experience riding a horse one time, and no, you always wanted to. It's a Ferrari. It's always oh. been a Ferrari. A Ferrari Spider. And you know what? I've always wanted to get one, and then put a little metallic chrome O at the end of it, and it says Ferrario, and it's oh, the Ferrario-mobile. I had an idea of cereal when I was in grade <laughs> school. Guys, I had an idea for cereal when I was in grade school. Call it Ferrario's. It's little cereal, but little with Ferrari marshmallows. That was really creative of you to use your last name as the name of the cereal. Well, let me By know when you can make Kylios. One other steak restaurant that I would go to, uh, St- Stone Turtle in Dogtown is really, really good. Stoned Turtle? Stone oh, Turtle. Stone Turtle. Stone Turtle is a spot in Dogtown that's really good. It's right next to Heavy Riff. By the way, also a fantastic brewery, my favorite one in town. Uh, I, I really enjoy there. They've got a pretty good uh, whiskey selection as well if you're into that sort of thing. As for car, man, I, I know I'm like getting rid of all of my man cards here, but not a big state guy, not said, a big car guy. Oh, I thought you were going to say like a bug. No, I'm, I thought I'm he was fine. Going like, with two. <laughs> I drive a Honda Accord, <laughs> which is not surprising to anybody in our audience. And I would probably just get a newer Honda Accord. I drive an 09 Honda Accord with 50,000 miles on it. I would just get a newer one with fewer miles on it. Someone That's probably a great the way question. I would go. Uh, T-Bone, are you old enough to drive? Yes, That's sir. That's a good question. Yes, sir, Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to dive into Check some NFL license. quick hitters, including Tanner has been freaking out all week, Alex, about Sean McVay potentially oh, so leaving scared. his coaching gig oh, is he gone? for a broadcasting job. So we'll talk about that with NFL quick hitters coming up in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, the Blues are starting to see some legitimate improvement from Colton Pareko and Nico Mikola. Is it enough, though, for them to put off trading for a defenseman? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Obviously nice when you get to play with someone for a little bit and kind of start to learn intensities a bit more and um, we can kind of go over different things um, throughout the games, after games, and stuff like that. So, kind of like you said, the more you play with someone, you get more you get more comfortable with them. And so far, we've we've had uh, had a good good run, and we're we're learning a lot, and it's been it's been fun. 
That was Colton Pareko after practice yesterday talking about the chemistry that he started to develop with Nico Mikola as the shutdown pairing for the St. Louis Blues. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I am Brandon Kylie. Pareko and Nico, Nico Mikola have been much better together, Alex. That is without dispute. And we were looking this up during the break, basically going back to December 14th, where they started becoming the clear-cut pairing with one another. If you look at what they've done, it's been super impressive. Now, if you go at five on five, they have technically been outscored. Now, that is a little unfair to them because of the way that they are being used. In this stretch of time, they have started their shifts in the defensive zone more than 50% of the time. For context, uh, Justin Falk and Tori Krug have started in the offensive zone about 60% of the time. So that's why their numbers are significantly better when it comes to their their goals for versus goals against. But if you're looking at the goals for and against with Pareko and Mikola at 5-on-5 since December 14th, they have been outscored 15-12 to when they're on the ice together. It's a little misleading because there were a couple of games against Calgary and one game against Pittsburgh where they played really poorly, especially that one game where Nico Mikola found himself benched by the third period. That was a rough one for that pairing. There's no disputing that whatsoever. But in those three games, the two against Calgary, the one against Pittsburgh, they were outscored at five on five, seven to zero. In every other game since December 14th, Alex, and these are against some quality opponents, they have actually outscored opponents despite starting in their defensive zone more often than not. 12 to 8. That's pretty good. It's not outstanding, but it's pretty darn good. And of late, we've seen them shut down some of the top lines in the NHL. Are you starting to lean towards the idea, the notion, that the Blues are okay with Pareko and Mikola as their top pairing defensively? Or do you still feel like they need to make an upgrade there? Are they going to win a Stanley Cup with those guys as your number one pairing? I, I tend to believe with Mike McKenna that I I don't think it can't be done. I just think it's going to be very difficult. But I just don't understand the mindset of, well, these guys aren't good enough to get it done because they've showed it to me. And in the amount of time that they've been playing since the turn of the calendar year, they've been significantly better than what people are giving them credit for. And I, I, I don't know if they're there yet to be the number one shutdown defenseman, but they're getting there, and they're growing towards that. I, I'd ask the question to people that, that aren't on board with that, what do you want to see from these guys? Because take out the game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Take out the game against the Calgary Flames. The two worst games since the turn of the calendar year. And frankly, those are on them, but on top of it, you got to talk about the goaltending, and you got to talk about the team as a whole. But if you're going to isolate those two, those are bad games. Take those two games out. Since the turn of the calendar year, they've only allowed six goals against when they are on the ice together. And think of the teams that they were playing against. The Minnesota Wild, the Washington Capitals, the Dallas Stars, the Nashville Predators, the Calgary Flames, the Jets, the Maple Leafs. These are playoff caliber teams, and they're not allowing those teams to beat them. And when I ask the question, and T-Bone, you can chime in on this because I know you've been very adamant about the Blues upgrading for Colton Pareko, what do you want to see? Because when they go up against the other team's top lines, more so than the opposite, 
they aren't allowing those top lines to beat them. When they do get beat, it's probably because they've been hemmed. That's a stat that I'd love to see, which I don't know if you can isolate. How many of those goals scored against them is at the end of the shift or at the beginning of a shift? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if people can do that. that. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is, like, if you go back and watch some of those games, when Pareko and Mikula get scored on, how many of that is a turnover in the neutral zone where they were supposed to get off the ice and the puck comes back into their own zone when they were supposed to be exiting their shift? There's a difference there of them jumping on over the boards and getting scored on and being at the end of a 90-second shift and getting scored on. Yeah, I, I just think it is, for me, it's more of, you know, Mikula, yeah, they're playing well since, what was the date that you gave us there? Jan, was it January that you said? Yeah, since the turn of the calendar year. I, and I get that that it's been almost two months now that they've been playing well together. I, I just still view Mikula as being green. He just doesn't have the ex, the experience because this is his first season, not even first full season, in which he's been playing at the top pairing with Colton Pareko because at, at the beginning of the year it was Marco Scandella. Hell, Nico Mikula was the guy that was the seventh defenseman at the beginning of the year. So, I just view it as he's still green, and and I've said this all along. I do believe he's going to be the top four defenseman in the future for the Blues, but I, I think right now maybe more of the answer for me is just kind of adding depth, but not just adding depth by getting someone like Achara to fit on a third pairing. I want to go above and beyond and have that depth be what I look at as the Blues forwards, where I say they're just so deep. That's why I look at a Mark Giordano. I get it. It's going to cost me more, but if I can have my defense be as deep as like the forwards are, then I feel great about this team heading into the playoffs. Because if you're telling me I can put Nico Mikola on a third third pairing with Robert Fortuzo, and I have a Mark Giordano on the pairing with Colton Preco, I think the Blues defense is one of the best in the National Hockey League. I, I truly do, because of the way Mikola has been playing in the last couple of months, I don't want to just add a just add a third pairing defenseman to replace Marco Scandella. I want to replace Marco Scandella with a guy that can play potentially top four defensive role, but be on a third pairing and upgrade that top four defensive guy that has more experience with a Marco Girodano. Uh, we got a text on the Air Comfort Service text on at 65780 from the 314. Blues are first in the Central in goals allowed and second in the entire Western Conference in goals allowed. That's just not true. The Blues right now have allowed 136 goals this season. He's talking about per game. Oh, he's talking about per game? Okay, overall. but So far this year, I've got the numbers for you. They've allowed 2.7 goals allowed per game this year. That is seventh in the NHL, third in the Western Conference. Surprisingly enough, first in the Central. That's pretty darn good. If you're looking at shots against per game, they're 18th right now in the NHL, seventh in the Western Conference, so right in the middle of the pack in both the NHL and the West, third in the Central. The thing that I find really interesting, Alex, is I think a lot of teams would view uh, defensively Minnesota to be pretty solid this year. They've actually allowed more shots per game this season on average than the St. Louis Blues have. So have the Nashville Predators. Uh, Meanwhile, we're talking about how the Blues need to decrease the amount of shots that they've allowed per game. I think that has actually gone down a decent amount in the second half. Um, The other thing is, like, if we're talking about the defense isn't it pretty good to be third in the Western Conference and goals allowed per game? Absolutely. but And some of that is just Villejuso standing on his head. He's been outstanding. He's been well, that's the best where goalie I was in go the league. But you can't blame Colton Pareko and Nico Mikola solely for those problems because there are five other guys on the ice or four other guys on the ice with those two. And that's the circumstance that you go with. Yeah, they're pretty high numbers right now. And a lot of people would say, oh, well, the advanced analytics don't show you that this is a good team understandably so, but that's not all on Colton Pareko and Nico Mikola. That's a lot on the third pairing that this Blues team has gone through with Marco Scandella and Jake Wallman and Scott Perunovic. That's also credited towards the amount of turnovers that this Blues team has in the neutral zone, what we've been talking about with Jordan Cairo, and that goes into consideration your goaltending, giving up some poor goals. So to, to isolate that and say, oh, well, Colton Pareko and Nico Mikola are the problem. No, they're not the problem. 
when they're playing against good competition and they're on their game, they're a lot to handle. The difference is the separation from their worst and their best. But their worst have been very minimum compared to their best in the second portion of this season. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, what about the expected goals versus actual goals? I know people get upset about this, and I I, I do understand that. Uh, This would be a different measure of how many good chances that pairing gives up. This This is something that has changed for them. Since December 14th, when the pairing really became kind of solid together, yes, they've been outscored 15 to 12 at five on five. The expected numbers, though, have become significantly better for that pairing. They are actually expected to outscore their opponents on the ice. They have more scoring chances for than against, again, despite the fact that they are starting in their own zone more often than not. And if you're looking at the high danger chances for versus against, they are getting the majority of theirs. Surprise about this, Alex? They are the only defensive pairing that you can say that about since December 14th. And yes, that is including the pairing of Justin Falk and Tori Krug, which has been outstanding in this stretch of time where they have outscored opponents 24 to 6 while they've been on the ice at 5 on top 5, which is really an unbelievable number. And also, they've been a little unlucky talking about the Pareko and Mikola uh, pairing together where uh, the on-ice save percentage hasn't been as good as you would expect it to be. Meanwhile, the on-ice save percentage for Falk and Krug, how about this? It's been 97%. The goalies have saved 97% of the shots against when Falk and Krug have been on the ice together over the last 10 weeks. Remember when Doug Armstrong kind of comped Colton Pareko to Jay Bomeister in terms of, you know, the circumstances that he's in and sometimes the puck's not bouncing the right way? That's that's the perfect example of what you just said. The save percentage is through the roof with Justin Falk and Tori Krug and with Colton Pareko and Nico Mikola. It doesn't seem to be going that way. I'm not sitting here saying don't make a trade. I, this team should go out and try and get a Mark Giordano because you're making your team better. But to sit here and say that, oh, well, they are only able to come away at the trade deadline with Zidane Chara or Justin Braun. I, I, I'm not out on that as much as people are because I think Mikel and Pareko can get that done when you're not relying on them to be the sole contributors. Remember what I talked about earlier this week of you look at the best teams and how they they divvy out the ice time among defensemen. The Blues have four defensemen right now, and then Robert Bortuzzo and whomever he's playing with gets about 12, 13 minutes a night. That, that can't be how you win hockey games. you got to have your third pairing playing 16 or 17 minutes a night so you don't have to play your top pairing 25, 26 minutes a night. Oh, see, I don't want that. I, I don't want your third pairing playing much at all. I like the way that they've done it. Uh, it it's pretty interesting to me. They've basically gone um, about 65, 70% of the game has been combi- uh, combined uh, Justin Falk's pairing and then Colton Pareko's pairing. They, they have those two combined – have twice as many t- minutes on the ice as the Bortuzzo and Scandella uh, pairing has over this stretch of time. So they, they've basically avoided that third pairing at all costs. I, I kind of like that. I, I like the idea of just really focusing on these top two defensive pairings, even when once you get into the postseason. I gave you all the numbers, all of the reasons to be optimistic about Nico Mikula and Colton Pareko. Those guys have played well together. I also think they still need to make a trade. Like As much as I am optimistic about the future of those two and what they have shown you is is pretty impressive it's been much better of late than it was early on in this stretch I wouldn't be surprised if they make a trade even if it is for a Mark Giordano they're not going to break Mikel and Pareko up if they get Giordano and they're paying the assets that it's going to take to to acquire him you are absolutely playing with him I don't think so Pareko. I don't think so then I, you shouldn't then you if that is the case you should not trade for why Mark would Giordano. you why would you disrupt what you've built all the way up to this point of the season with those because two Giordano's together? better 
Because he's just a better player than Nico Mikola. I just I don't see that. If, if you I don't, don't believe it. that to be the case, then you cannot make that trade. You cannot give up a first-round pick for a guy that is going to be playing on your I'm third I'm not pairing. saying he's not better, but what I'm saying is it gets you to the point where you can utilize your third pairing more than what you are doing now. And I don't know if you want to disrupt the chemistry that you why built am with I those t- two. Why am I putting Pareko, Falk, and Krug on the ice less, though? to get Bortuzzo out there more often. The same That's re- what you're doing. You're, you're taking – it's a zero-sum gun game. There's only 60 minutes to play your defenseman out there. So if you can break that up, and I'm telling you, hey, Alex, your option is you can either have Falcon Pareko's pairings out there for 48 minutes and then the other – the third pairing for 12, or you can take away some of that time for those top two pairing. Maybe it is ends up being closer to 40, and now you've got 20 minutes or something like that for your third-pairing defenseman. I would much rather have the former than the latter, where I'm the, having my best players on the ice for the greatest amount of time it's possible. It's not that. It's more so the matchups that you're going up against, and you can shut down the other two pairings. It, you're going with matchups there. If you feel like your better matchup with Pareko and Mikola is against somebody and have Mark Giordano or whoever it's going to be play with Robert Bortuzzo or whoever it is, then you get those matchups on the ice. It's the same reason how they utilized a Carl Gunnarsson and a Joel Edmondson and a Vince Dunn in the playoffs, because they felt like there were matchups that they can exploit I'm not saying that they will do it because I can absolutely see them bring in somebody like a Mark Giordano and put them with Colton Pareko. But if you're building something and you feel positive about what you have accomplished with those two, Pareko even said it in a segment return of how those guys were playing together. I don't know if I would be so quick to say, all right, Mikola, you're going to the third pair. If they're building, I would let them continue to build if I see it being progressive. If not, that's where I look at it and say, okay, we're going to throw this guy in with Colton Pareko. Yeah, I just I, – I can't imagine that they're going to do to, – to make a significant deal for a guy like Giordano or Sherratt, whoever it ends up being. Whoever they go out there and acquire, if you're giving up a first-round pick for them, you, you have to, in my opinion – you have to put them up there with Colton Pareko. And if you don't want to do that, if you decide that you want to keep these two together, that's totally fine, Alex. I, I'm not necessarily opposed to doing so. You need to then drop your your what you're looking for. Then you are looking for a Zidane Chara, a Justin Braun, that third-pairing defenseman where you can give up less because you're not going to have those guys on the ice nearly as much. So that, that's kind of if the way that I would If they acquire Ben Sherratt, which that's where everyone's connecting them, I would not be surprised if Ben Sherratt plays with Robert Portuzo. Maybe, but if you're getting Ben Sherratt and you're putting him with uh, Robert Bortuzzo, you've made a bad trade. Be- because because I mean, now I'm, you're... I'm on that side of the fence anyway because I don't think Ben Sherratt's the right guy. I don't think Ben Sherratt's a guy that you make a trade. The only reason I bring his name up is because that's who everybody is connecting to the Blues is Ben Sherratt. Yeah. And if that's who they're bringing in, he's not better than Nico Mikola as a pairing mate. Coming up in about 15 minutes, can you imagine, Alex, if the Cardinals did what the Braves sound like they're about to do the rest of this offseason. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, yes, let's go around the NFL with some quick hitters alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Guys, there's some broadcasting news that we've got to get to. Troy Aikman is heading to ESPN for Monday Night Football. Now Fox is looking for a replacement for Troy Aikman's spot, potentially to be with Joe Buck, but we're really not sure on that yet because Joe Buck 
reportedly might be following Troy Aikman to Monday Night Football on ESPN. So that'll be one worth watching. Right now, what things uh, appear to be, what this appears to be, though, is a whole lot of agents are trying to float their client's name to this potential job opening with Fox. That includes John Lynch, the general manager in San Francisco. He could do both. I know Tanner is super concerned about the fact that, oh boy, there are some rumors that looks like Sean McVay could make more than $15 million per year if he uh, went to the broadcasting oh, booth. Oh, There's no. some rumors now that Sean Payton could be in play for Fox's job. Whole lot of people are trying to get paid right now, and they're using Fox as leverage. Tanner, I'll start with you on this. How concerned are you about the possibility that Sean McVay is going to the broadcast booth? I think I'm at a 6 of 10 I, because I, I do truly could totally see him leaving to go do broadcasting because he didn't bring that stuff up out of nowhere during the Super Bowl. I get it. It's probably his agent trying to get him more money, but hey, where there's smoke, there's fire, and I I would not be stunned to see him. I think he'll come back just because they just won the cup or the cup. They just won huh. the Super Bowl, and they're probably like the second, third best team in the NFC right now, and they're probably going to be that way, especially if Rodgers retires. So I think he'll come back, but I definitely think he will leave at sooner rather than later. That's why I put it about 6 out of 10. I'm a little concerned. I actually, I don't know if you saw this report this morning as well. Apparently, Tom Brady's going to be getting phone calls as well. I wouldn't, yeah, mind, seeing, I wouldn't mind seeing TB12 up in the booth. He's too busy with his great movie idea. Oh. If you are somebody that has name recognition and you are at least interested in any way, even if it's a, a very slight interest in going into the broadcast booth, if your agent has not floated your name out there right now, they are not doing your job and you should fire your agent. Because that's the way that you can get paid. Man, John Lynch, I guarantee you, bold prediction here, Alex. John Lynch is about to get paid this offseason. There will be a report coming out at some point within the next three months that says John Lynch has signed a contract extension with the San Francisco 49ers. He ain't leaving that job. Are you kidding me? He's built a roster that is bound for the Super Bowl potentially in the next three years. You think Sean McVay is about to be like, hey, I traded all of this draft capital to go get the quarterback of my dreams, and we just won the Super Bowl, and now I'm walking away? Hell no. He ain't getting out of there yet. Now, three, four years from now, if you told me Sean McVay walks away the way that um, John Gruden did, what, 15 years ago now? Yeah, I could buy that. I could absolutely believe that. He's not doing it now. He's trying to get paid. That's what this is all about. Same thing with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald wants to be the highest paid defensive player in the NFL, as he should. Go get your money, Aaron Donald. That's what this is about. When you see any of these rumors, remember why their names are being put into this sort of a situation. For me, I'm not buying this at all. Sean McVay ain't quitting. He's not going to be broadcasting in the booth with Joe Buck next year. He's going to be in those broadcast meetings with Joe Buck whenever the Rams are playing on Fox on national TV. All I'm saying is if I'm Sean McVay and somebody's offering me $15 million to work less, yeah, I'm taking that job. What if your other option is potentially winning a Super Bowl and making 10 to $12 million? $15 million. If he's focused on family, $15 million. He ain't focused on family? He's saying that to get himself paid. Hey. You better pay me a little more so I can focus less on my family. I mean, how <laughs> old is he? He's less than 40 years old. He's 39. You're 39 years old, and I'm going to make $15 million and work once a week? Yeah, I'm going to take that job right now. That job's always going to be there. It is never going away. You do not always get the opportunity to have a Super Bowl roster. But I already want it. 
once. I already won it. Sean McVay cares about his legacy. But what happens he, if you come back and, and don't win it again? Then that job's still there for you. Sean McVay's value is not going down in the broadcast booth. He's really interesting. He's a fun listen. He's John Gruden 2.0. Like, we're watching the reincarnation right now of John Gruden. I think he's a little better of a coach than John Gruden ever was. A little better. But... He is young, he's energetic, he's vibrant. He is going to be very good in the broadcast booth whenever he decides to make that jump. All I'm saying is... But that job will be there for him, just as it was for John Gruden, who, by the way, we never talk about this part, he was not good the last three years. He got fired in Tampa Bay. He left the, the job on the sidelines, not because he wanted to, because he got fired. That's why he ended up going elsewhere. So, yeah, I think Sean McVay... If he ends up wanting to be in the broadcast booth, that job will be there for him. But he doesn't need to take that job right now. Okay, made me feel a little better. Yeah, you don't need to be worrying about this. Not yet. You need to worry about it. It just ain't in 2022. Maybe closer to Worry about it when they don't have first-round draft picks. Oh, gosh. That's when it'll start hitting. Then you can get Jeff Fisher back. All right. Let's localize this XFL situation that we talked about yesterday. They're pairing with the NFL. I think that's good for the league. I'm not sure it's good for the league here in St. Louis specifically, though. Alex, there was a report that came out yesterday from Pro Football Talk. I actually am very curious to find out how this is going to impact the XFL because the talent level might not be at the, where it was uh, the last time that we saw the XFL, Alex. So according to Pro Football Talk, the USFL, which just had its draft the other night, has player team options for 2023. So this is a league that is going to start up this year And the players that are drafted right now, the teams can bring them back next year. And any player that is under contract with the USFL would not be eligible to play in the XFL. The reason why I bring this up is because I, I do think that the talent pool for the XFL is going to decrease from where it was last time. Because at that point, it was the AAF and the XFL. The XFL was clearly the more talented league of the two. I think the XFL might end up being the less talented league of the two this time around with the USFL being a little bit more talented because they came around first and they basically have the right of first refusal for the players that they want to keep. I'm a little worried. This is something worth monitoring because if the talent level isn't where it was last time, I do think there might be less interest as a result. If the talent level is not there, then you got to get personalities. You got to get guys who have personalities who are fun to fun to hear if that makes any sense, because I thought the XFL did an awesome job when they were the Battle Hawks this past time in terms of just having the players a part of the entire broadcast rather than hear them at at sporadic moments. Like, make the game a little bit more focused on entertainment than the product on the field. If you can do that, I don't know if it takes as much of a hit, but you're right. If you don't have guys who are talented, I I think the product drops off significantly. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It'll be interesting to see. I, I, I'll be honest, so I'm not sure if I have much faith in the USFL lasting past just this season. I mean, how many of these startup leagues have we seen come and go? I mean, the That's AAF fair. was another example. The XFL probably would have made it had the pandemic not hit. Like, that was the one that I think was going to stay. And I think the XFL can do it again. I, I'm just not sold on the USFL staying staying intact. That's probably the only reason I would just be hesitant to say much on it yet. If it stays intact, then yeah, the, the XFL could be in trouble in terms of the talent that they're going to have available for them. Final thing here is we're going through some NFL quick hitters. There have been some new reports on some of the quarterback carousel that we're expecting to take place this offseason, guys. 
Apparently, we should get some news on Aaron Rodgers in the not-too-distant future. That was according to your favorite ESPN NFL reporter, Diana Rossini. Oh, are we going to hear um, it on the uh, Pat McAfee show again? I would assume no that that's there. probably no where there. you will end up finding out He's what gonna his He's going to talk about his next 12 days. Oh, God. Please no more of that. Look at, look Detox. Good, good cleanse. Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Arizona Cardinals, said they have had productive conversations with Kyler Murray, and they were they are expecting to move forward together with one another. Are we Instagram official again? And there have been some sort of rumors that are coming out of Seattle that it appears Russell Wilson might end up being back with the Seahawks next year. After everything that we've heard, he might end up being back with the Seahawks after all. Out of those three guys, if I set the over-under at two and a half being back with their current team in 2022, would you take the over or the under? So two and a half means all three of them have to be back. For the over, yes. Rodgers, Kyler Murray, and Russell Wilson, how many of those three will be back with their current teams in 2022, Tanner? I'd take the over. I would take the over, too. I think all three will be back because I think Russ will be back in Seattle. I think uh, I definitely I truly believe of all the three that we just said, I'm 100 percent convinced Kyler is going to be back in Arizona. And I do think Rodgers will come back. I, I think he'll do one more year in Green Bay and then his contracts up, if I'm not mistaken, or he's got an option, something like that. I think he'll do one more year in Green Bay, so I would take the over. I think all three are going to be back. I'm going to take the under because I think Rodgers retires still. I still believe that he's going to be a guy that decides to walk out on his own, on his own terms. I think he's trying right now to get his guy paid. I think he's trying to exert his leverage to make sure that Devontae Adams gets all of his money in Green Bay. And that's why we're waiting right now. I think he wants to get that contract done first. He's going to force the Packers' hands. And then they're going to end up stuck with Devontae Adams, which is not a bad thing. He's a really good player. You like having Devontae Adams. But they're going to be, quote, unquote, stuck with him at the contract that they have him signed to on a long-term deal, potentially. And then Roger's going to say, awesome. Glad my guy got paid. I've had a wonderful career. Thanks for everything, Green Bay. It, and I think that's the way that this story ends. If that happens, that's I feel like the Packers are going to have Michael Thomas 2.0 on their hands. Where he gets a big contract, and then he's not going to want to play for him. Because the whole point of him was... Oh, yeah, okay, I'm coming back for Rodgers. Okay, I can survive a year without Rodgers. He gets the Jordan Love experience and goes, no way in hell can I survive here in Green Bay. Get me the bleep out of here. Can you imagine being a team that is in need of a quarterback right now? And if Rodgers decides to retire, Russell Wilson stays with his current team. Kyler Murray isn't available. The only, like, B or B-level quarterback or better that's going to be available this offseason is the guy that has like 25 different legal allegations against him right now in Deshaun Watson. That's fine. The other guy that's potentially available, I mean, maybe you could go out there and convince yourself that Jimmy Garoppolo is good enough. Maybe. I, I don't even know. If if you're the Vikings and none of these guys become available, I don't think that you're getting rid of Kirk Cousins either. So Let's run it back, Ben Roethlisberger. There could I- be a little less quarterback movement this offseason than we're expecting with some of these top guys. Uh, so I was just about to say, I truly believe that this quarterback carousel that when we thought, like, I don't know, a week right before the playoffs, we were thinking, wow, this is really going to be spinning in the offseason. I'm getting to the point this carousel is not really going to move because the only guy I really see moving is Jimmy G. And, and that's about it because if Rodgers isn't playing, I agree, he's not going to be going anywhere else. It's going to be Green Bay or retire. And then Russ is going to stay. I think Cousins is going to stay. Sounds like Derek Carr is going to stay. So the only quarterback that I see being moved is Jimmy Grapple, and that one you could see coming. So I don't I don't see much of this carousel really spinning. Coming up in 10 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer to finish out this week. But coming up next... 
Man, can you imagine if the Cardinals did what the Braves are reportedly expected to do? Win the World Series? We'll tell you what that is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One quick rumor that I've heard is that when this starts up again with transactions, a team to watch in the Freddie Freeman market is the New York Mets, who've blown way past the, you know, the luxury tax threshold. They've already got Pete Alonso, but maybe they decide, you know what, we can get a better defender first base. We can move Alonso to DH. Uh, even if they take their payroll over three hundred million dollars, I think they're going to be hyper aggressive in trying to upgrade how they upgrade. That was Buster only on with us yesterday, reaffirming his report from the other day, saying that, quote, the presumption among a lot of rival executives is that Freddie Freeman will not be back with the Atlanta Braves. They believe that he will land somewhere outside of Atlanta because of the standoff in his contracts negotiations with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex, I'm trying to imagine the response here in St. Louis, if they decided to do something similar to what it appears the Atlanta Braves are about to do. You're coming off of a World Series appearance. You're coming off of Freddie Freeman being the best player for you all year long. He was really the only constant in that lineup. And now he's asking for six years. You're willing to give him five, and you're walking away from that deal for a guy that is a franchise icon, a potential Hall of Famer, still got a lot of work to do, but a potential Hall of Fame player, and you're saying, eh, thanks for your services, Freddie. We're going to go ahead and continue to build around Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr., who combined, combined, Alex, over the next five years are scheduled to make $25 million per year. That's the two of their salaries combined. You're telling me you can't do that along with bringing back Freddie Freeman? Absolutely not. Their payroll is currently estimated to be at $140 million this upcoming season. We talked about it earlier today. The Braves made roughly $80 million in profits a year ago, and now they're saying, mm, nah, we're good. We're not going to bring back our p- best player. That is That is laughable to me, and I was trying to think last night, I, what this Cardinals fan base would, what they would be saying right now if that took place. Isn't this the same scenario that happened with Pujols? No. Because everything that you said leading up to the point where they had the cost-controlled players to build around for cheap, all of that sounded much like Albert Pujols coming off of a World Series win where he was the best player or one of the best players. And now I don't know the whole contract details if it was a year or if it was more money that they were wanting but it sure as hell sounds a lot like what took place in the offseason of 2011. See, the way that I would say that it's different, and I think it's a significant difference, Albert Pujols signed a 10-year contract worth $240 million with the Angels. We ain't talking about that, man. We're talking about half of that for Freddie Freeman. Same age, half of the contract. And I understand Freddie Freeman is not the same caliber of player that Albert Pujols was. At that point in time, Albert could have retired and already had a Hall of Fame-worthy career. Like, he was that good for his first decade of his career here in St. Louis. I mean, he's he's a Hall of Famer now, and it ain't like he did a whole lot once he got to L.A. So I, I think it's quite a bit different, in my opinion. Tan- Tanner, do you feel like it's the same as the Albert Pujols situation? I, I can see the similarities. Like, 
the spots that both teams were in going into that offseason quality teams you could potentially go out there and add depth as opposed to retaining one player at a significant price I can see how that those are very similar situations the contracts that the two players are commanding though I think are very very different yeah and I I think that's where it is for me because I do think they are similar similar because I mean you look at the way both teams won the World Series both went on incredible runs to get there just to win it all and then the contract is pretty much the thing for me is it's six years for Freddie Freeman and it's the years that they're going back and forth on I don't remember exactly the contract negotiations for pools. I think it was money plus it was years that they were going back and forth on, if I'm not mistaken. So there's kind of that similarity as well. But I would throw it into the conversation of, you know, I mean, Albert Pools is a franchise icon, Freddie Freeman franchise icon. Both are once-in-a-generation type talents, and in my opinion, you should do everything you can to try and possibly keep them here. That's that's where I come from on the side of I think there is some some of the similarity that I'm seeing on the text line of people saying, well, that's the Albert Pujols scenario. Is my opinion, the Cardinals, Grant, look, the contract ended up not working out for Albert in L.A., and it was probably smart in the part, if you look at it now in hindsight, that the Cardinals let him go because he wasn't going to age well, especially in the 10 years he was out in L.A. There was no designated hitter in the National League, but... I look at it and I say those are two deals that basically, I hate to say it, but maybe you just side with the player and you get the deal done. Like if I'm Atlanta, there's no way on earth they should be letting Freddie Freeman walk away just because of a year. And the Cardinals, in my opinion, the Cardinals should not have looked to let Albert Pujols walk when they did in 2012. I know the money was the biggest thing for him, and I know that the contract did not end up working out well, but he was a once-in-a-generation type talent, and that's kind of where I come on it. And it's the same way I view it. I know it's a different sport. But the Alex Petrangelo situation with the Blues. The reason the Blues let him go is they didn't want to hand out the full new, the no movement clause. I think they had the terms locked in. I think they were prepared to make that deal work. They just didn't want to do the no movement clause. They didn't budge and they let the guy, they, the first guy in franchise history, one of the best defensemen in the league, walk over a no movement clause. Here's the difference, in my opinion, between Pujols and Freeman, and why this one is should be at least seems more infuriating than the well. This one seems less infuriating as the Pujols situation because the Atlanta Braves have one superstar. But I guess some would consider Ozzie Albies a superstar. I mean, he's arguably one of the, what, three best second basemen in, this, in, and, in and baseball. And you got so. Austin Riley on the rise. Yep. The Atlanta Braves have guys that they can say, you know what, if we don't have Freddie Freeman, I think we still have the offense to build around. The Cardinals didn't. That's why the Cardinals. In 2012? Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue they, they did because I mean, that, who were the guys? You had Holiday, Holiday, Craig, but, and, and Carpenter Adams? was coming up, and then they ended up signing Beltron. I don't and know they, if they, those guys – yeah, but before the Beltron conversation, because you signed him as a free agent. when you looked, But that was part of it. Like, if they weren't going to sign – But you didn't know you could get Beltron. I think they did. I think that was part of their, their determination those internally. Those guys, was, though, didn't have the same feel that – Ozzie Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr. have. That's fair. Which is why the Cardinals one was more infuriating because, yeah, they had Alan Craig and, yeah, you had Matt Holiday. Those weren't Ronald Acuna Jr.'s. And you moved on from Albert Pujols because you thought that those guys were there and that you could build. I can understand the Atlanta Braves looking at it. Is it smart? I can't. No, I mean, I'm with it, but I I can see the reasoning behind it. I actually think it's the opposite. Um, I think it is. It was more explainable for the Cardinals because of the ten-year deal. I, if you're an owner, I, 
I disagree with it for these guys that are 27 years old, 26 years old, that are hitting, hitting free agency where these owners are unwilling to go the 10 years. By the end of that contract, you're basically looking at the same thing as giving a five-year deal to a 31-year-old. Like that's, that's the back end of the deal that you're worried about. It's the same risk, really, for those types of players because you're getting the prime of their careers. Whereas for a 31-year-old, 32-year-old, giving a 7-, 8-, 10-year deal for those guys, that is super risky. And we just saw how that played out with Albert Pujols at the back end of the deal. This is different because he wants six. He wants six years, and he wants to be paid as if he's one of the best players at his position, which, by the way, he is. So I, I don't see any argument otherwise. And by the way, for the Cardinals, the other thing is they had other guys currently on the roster like Yadier Molina, who ended up having two borderline MVP types of years over the next couple of years, who they knew they had to pay. The Cardinals knew they were going to have to pay Yadi and they were going to have to pay Wayno, And they had other guys on the open market that they could potentially go out there and acquire like a Carlos Beltran. And they had already paid at that point in time, Matt Holiday. They had some big salaries on the books. That doesn't exist for the Braves. They've got their young guys currently retained for multiple years. The only players making more than $15 million on their roster right now are Marcelo Zuna and Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton ain't going to be here all that much longer for them. He's 38 years old. Marcelo Zuna, God only knows what's going to happen with his situation and his contract. You have Acuna, you have Swansby, you have Duvall, you have... um, Ozzie Albee's already signed at $7 million per season. Like, they've got their guys ready to go under contract. I think this is completely, like, this would be an irreconcilable difference between me and the ownership group if I'm a fan of that Braves team. If they don't bring Freddie Freeman back, they better have a really good explanation as to why. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we're getting back to the Cardinals. It's Dylan Carlson, the key to the Cardinals offense, taking a step forward this upcoming year. We'll get to that coming up at 1:15. But next, we're talking to David Reed of NHL Network. Want to get his thoughts on young players who go through a dry spell like Jordan Cairo right now. What does that look like in the eyes of a former NHLer? We'll talk to David Reed about it coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are live at the ENB Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. The Blues back in action tonight against Buffalo. Pre-game coverage with Alex coming up at 6 o'clock. We'll have puck, puck drop for you You're right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN at 7. And right now we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to have a conversation about the Blues with NHL Network's Dave Reed. You can watch him on NHL Network on NHL tonight throughout the regular season including tonight at five o'clock dave we appreciate the time as always how are you doing today i'm doing well guys how about you today uh doing very well let's start out with just kind of your overall thoughts on where the blues stand right now 30 14 and 6 this season uh they've certainly had some uh ups and downs when it comes to their goaltending but overall i think everybody here in st louis is pretty happy with where they stand what's been your overall assessment of this blues team this to this part in the season uh, they just cover all the bases when you're looking at what you need to do to be successful, and they can play any type of game you like. Uh, you know, other than the little uh, glitch of goaltending with Jordan Bennington, um, which has been picked up tremendously by Billy Huso, uh, it's still a very deep team uh, that will play. If they want to play a fast game, they can do that with the youth that they've got. They want to play a big physical game. They're happy to play that style. 
Uh, they can shut it down. They can open it up. And, and when you're, you know, when you go through an 82 game season, you're going to get a little bit of everything. And, and the more consistent you can be at playing that complete game, the better you're going to do. Plus, I think one thing that's really been a benefit to the Blues this year is is their special teams. Um, I didn't check to see today's stats, but going into last night's game, uh, I think they were uh, third in PP and fifth in PK. Now that may have changed after the Leafs; they were so close. But when you are, you know, when you're battling for top five in both the penalty kill and the power play, that that gives you an opportunity to really be successful in the National Hockey League. Very few teams can say that, and the Blues have been excellent in both categories. Dave, when you look at the teams right now at this point of the season and when you say, you know, who are the who are the favorites to win a Stanley Cup? Everyone goes to Colorado. They go to Florida. They go to Tampa. They even throw in Carolina's name and their Calgary for the way that they've been playing. Do you feel like the Blues are on the same level as those teams? And if not, what do you feel like they're missing? I think as a team game, they are. Um, the sexiness of the other teams, the Colorados with the flash that they've got and and Tampa Bay winning back-to-back cups, and even Pittsburgh, who struggled yesterday against the Devils, or have really played well, and uh, with Malkin and Crosby in Florida, the the up-and-comers type of thing with the Huberdeau uh, leading the league in scoring. And there's just sexy topics there. The Blues won the Stanley Cup without being sexy. They put their, you know, the Craig Brewery hard helmets on and just went about their business and played their game and and won a cup and. And so when you're in the media and it's a long season, you're looking for the, the flash. Wow, look at this, look at that. And, you know, the, the Blues don't jump out at you. Uh, even Minnesota with Kapril Kaprizov, the rookie of the year, it's like, oh, is, you know, what, what, a, what, a, what a flash and dash player. There's the sex appeal about all that. And St. Louis doesn't have that. And I think for a reason they don't have that. They, they're not a one-man show. They're not a team that says, hey, we're going to rely on one guy. Uh, they rely on a, on a team effort. Uh, start to finish and so it's easy to get caught up and trust me I'm I'm in <laughs> I do it regularly you get caught up with some great fancy flashy plays that are all over the highlights and then um, you start focusing on that but the Blues to know what it takes to win a Stanley Cup the Avs don't they haven't done it Tampa Bay knows what it, what it takes to win a Stanley Cup Florida doesn't so when you you know even Minnesota they don't know what it takes to win a Stanley Cup they haven't done it so when you get into the playoffs, that's a huge advantage, and you can't underestimate the experience of winning a cup. And it's not as though this team won it 10, 15 years ago. They won it a few years back. The majority of the guys are still like, hey, we want to do this again. And that, that goes a long way. So there's no way you can uh, uh, underscore that element to this team, and they still play that, that playoff-type hockey on a regular basis, and that's a good thing. It can be a little draining and a little overly physical in an 82-game season, but um, I think the guys are quite up for it after the last two seasons have been broken down through the pandemic. I was going to follow up with that, Dave, because you've been around rosters that have won the Stanley Cup. You've seen what the difference is of being around those guys compared to teams that are inexperienced in there. What is the what is the most popping element in, in that scenario of why it's an advantage for St. Louis? They're not going to panic if they're up or down in a game, and uh, especially once you playoff time. Uh, even the regular season, uh, it's full of ups. You know, they always say the mountains and the valleys. Don't get too high, don't get too low, and it's so true because the more even keel you can be, and it's like, hey, you know what? Today was a good game, bad game. You lose in Montreal, you give up a goal ten seconds to go, you lose in overtime. Yeah, you're disappointed, but you're more pissed off than you are uh, upset at the way you played. You know, and you're mad at yourself for the mistakes you made to give up those points. You're not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, we're, oh, this is terrible. It's not terrible. It's it, it happens, and 
you hit the playoffs, you have to forget it. The game's over. Uh, you take the good, take the bad, make a few corrections, and move on. And and when you've when you've won, you're like, wow, this is. Uh, you know what? Uh, we can't dwell on on the mistakes and, and keep worrying about them because there's there's going to be another opportunity to correct it or make the same mistake. And you don't want to make that same mistake. And you prepare to be better. And that's what having the players who've won and, and being there done that. There's no panic button to push. Even if you're even if you're down a couple in a game seven of a series and you're going the third period and you're down to it's like, hey guys, remember when? Hey guys, we got this. You know, we takes takes one goal to get us back in this thing. And that's huge when you hit the playoffs because um, you know momentum can work against you as well as it can work for you. And that's where you're you know, I always say until you beat the Stanley Cup champs, they're still the favorite team. So for me Tampa Bay is still the team to beat in the National Hockey League because you come to a Game 7, they're going to be like, seriously? Yeah, we were here the last two years. We've done this. And their attitude and their, their demeanor is, and their lack of panic, for a better word, uh, a lot of times gets you, gets you through and allows you to succeed and win games. Two-time Stanley Cup champion, former NHL forward, and now NHL Network analyst Dave Reed is joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Dave, as you could probably imagine, there's been a lot of discussion here in St. Louis about what the trade deadline is going to hold for the St. Louis Blues. And most of that conversation has been centered around the defensemen that could become available. Guys like Giordano, Sherratt, Justin Bronze, Dano Chara. We've talked about them ad nauseum here in St. Louis. Are there any guys or any types of players that you think makes the most sense for this Blues team as we approach the deadline? Well, you can never have enough defensemen in my mind. And any of those players you mentioned, other than maybe Sedano Chara, who, who I think, um, it, it, you know, the foot speed I think would catch up with him uh, in, a, in a long series. Uh, I don't know if, um, you know, I, I think a guy like even Ben Sherratt, I mean, if Jeff Petrie's out there, Giordano, you know, these guys are, are solid competitors, especially Sherratt and Petrie were in the Stanley Cup final last year, and Giordano's had plenty of playoff experience. So someone in that, in that category, a veteran player who is going to seamlessly slide into the team and understand where the role is on the team, uh, you can never have enough players like that. Depth on defense, you guys saw it when you won the Cup. The, you're going through eight defensemen, if not nine. And if that ninth defenseman can be a fourth defenseman on any other team in the league, then you've got great depth. So, and Doug Armstrong knows that. We were in Dallas together, and we had Doug Lidster. We hardly played in the playoffs, and Doug Lidster could have easily played on any team in the National Hockey League on their back end. And uh, he was, you know, in that seven, eight, nine category, and he was probably our seventh defenseman the whole playoffs. So that's extremely important. Um, you've got great goaltending. You know, so with Bennington, I'm sure he'll come around, but you've got Vili Husso who's, who's, who's playing outstanding. So that's not a question mark. You know, that's not a concern. And you can also, I don't think you can ever have enough second or third line depth players uh, to contribute. Someone who's who's had experience and maybe won. I mean, a guy like Phil Kessel always comes to mind. If you pop him into a lineup, that I, I think that would be a perfect fit on a number of teams. And a player like him coming into St. Louis to say, hey, yeah, another chance of winning. Uh, absolutely, he'd be... Um, you know, I think that type of player would be a great fit as well. Dave, going back to the defenseman side of things, because a lot of people talk about Nico Mikola and Colton Pareko, and I think the national side for a trade, people want to see an upgrade with Colton Pareko. Uh, I don't know how much you've watched of Nico Mikola this season, but from a from a player's side and a coach's side, when you're going through this stretch of the season and headed into the playoffs with a young player like that, how much leniency can you have with a team that you feel like you can contend with if you have still a green player that's growing? 
Yeah, I, I, I've put it this way. When I watch the St. Louis Blues, I don't notice them in a good way or a bad way. You know, I, and if you notice them in a bad way, it's a bad thing. A lot of times it's like best thing to do is just go through a game and not be noticed unless you're a goal scorer, which is a problem. But um, <laughs> it, 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 that can be a bit of a, an issue as you move through the playoffs and the nerves can start to kick in. And in Colorado, we had a young defenseman, uh, Martin Skula, who played on our on our 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 third pairing. He was a fifth, sixth. He was usually teamed up with either uh, John Clem or Greg DeVries in that category. He was a young guy. He was more of an offensive player, but he was big and skated extremely well and, and had some good insulation with guys ahead of him. And if you can put players in situations where they're going to succeed, and then, you know what, if, if you feel in a game, and this is where coaching comes up huge, and since Craig Bruby has won the Cup, he and he's coached uh, many years and played a lot, he understands that, you know what, maybe maybe this isn't the situation to put him in. Maybe it's late in the game and the defense is on face-off. Maybe it's not the situation to put him in. You know, maybe neutral zone or an offensive might be a better situation for this young guy. And if you've got the depth in defense and you had, like, let's say, um, I just saw a name of, like a Giordano. He, he seems to be a, a player everybody likes to talk about. It's better to have that veteran guy you can slide in. But not you don't need to do it all the time. And, and pairs and defense pairings and players are very comfortable with moving in and out in today's game. So uh, it, in that situation, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm more leaning, leaning toward having veteran players as you move deep in the playoffs. But uh, I mean, Sergei Zubov was fantastic. And not that I'm going to compare uh, Mikola to a Sergei Zubov-style play, but but Sergei Zubov was great with the Rangers in his rookie year. He was a fantastic young player and played in all situations. So there are there are the exceptions that um, you know guys do step up and play extremely well. So um, you know I, I I understand what everybody's talking about, but I don't think there's a panic button to be hit. I mean, if you've got veteran that you can make the switch as playoffs are going or when necessary, I think that's more important. We're talking to Dave Reed for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can check him out on NHL Network on NHL Tonight throughout the regular season, including tonight at 5 o'clock. Dave, the final question that I've got for you, Jordan Cairo has gone through a little bit of a dry spell since his fantastic All-Star game, winning the fastest skater competition and then having a really good showing in the game itself. Uh, he had a turnover that was an issue for him late against Philly. That's kind of been a consistent issue for him since the All-Star game. And then he only had one shift in the final 12 minutes of the game against Philly. Philadelphia over this stretch one goal two assists when you've got a young guy like Kairou and all of us love the talent he's an unbelievable player and god did he get off to an outstanding start this season how do you get over a stretch like this what what are the keys to a young player getting out of a slump I, th- I think listening to your coaches and learning and watching the video and, and understanding uh, what you need to do to be successful and and executing what that needs to be uh, now I'm sure Craig Bruby gives him plenty of leash to, to kind of hang himself, so to speak, because uh, you don't put a player on a bench for making one mistake. So the more it happens, that's where the player's got to understand and look in the mirror and say, okay, I can't do this. You know, I need to be better. I need to improve my game as we move along through my career. And you need to do that on a daily basis. I mean, the best players are the, the guys who are on the ice first and last and are doing the little things and, you know, if I remember, I always say I played with Joe Sackick when I finished my career in Colorado. And if Joe wasn't scoring, even if he was scoring, he was always working on a shot. And he probably still has one of the best shots in the world. And he's been out of the game 10 years. But at that time, he scored 50 uh, that year. I believe he won the Hart Trophy when we won the Cup that year. Phenomenal player, but he was he was always working on the little things to his game that he felt he needed to improve on. And that's something that Jordan Cairo needs to continue to work on. 
and continue to look at tape and to continue to have the understanding of where you know where he wants to see himself and where his level needs to be because you don't get it by just you know having a good stretch and being a good player if you want to be a great player you've got to do those things and it's it's sometimes it's tough to tell yourself that in a long season and you're a young guy and you've got you know there's always distractions going on and sometimes it's tough to to really get that focus but once you get that focus uh, and and you start you know you're on the ice and the game slows a little bit you realize okay no drop pass no turnovers not trying to stick candle do the right thing you know move it forward and make a simple play then all of a sudden your game goes to another level and I think he's still in the learning process of that, obviously, is otherwise he wouldn't have found himself on the bench in the game in Philadelphia. But it takes time, and, and even some of the best players will, will make mistakes, um, but they only usually make it once every 10 games, not, uh, not once every two games. He's Dave Reed. Check him out on NHL Network where you can watch him on NHL Tonight. You'll see him on NHL Tonight coming up at 5 o'clock. Dave, we always appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for joining us today, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon as the Blues continue this uh, playoff push. Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, Enjoy the games. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Dave Reed joining us here on 101 ESPN. I wanted to get back to something he said about Nico Mikola. I thought it was a really insightful statement from him. He said, you know, maybe he's a guy that's going to be more situational for you once you get into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Maybe you do decide, "Ah, I want to use him more in the neutral zone than in the defensive zone. Maybe he's a guy that "Ah, we want to use him as we are going towards the offensive zone. Alex, that's a third pairing defenseman. Like if, if that's how, and I don't know how the Blues view him because you could make an argument either way. Earlier today, you mentioned, hey, you know, he's, he's been playing better and maybe he is deserving of getting that top pairing defensive uh, minutes going even into the playoffs, even if they do make a move. I, I disagree with it. Even I, I, I can see the argument, though, in favor of it. If they view him as a guy that is situational, then they need to make an upgrade before you get to the deadline and you need to find a guy that is not situational because right now, Colton Pareko, that's the opposite of situational. Now, you're using him in specific spots, so I guess you could call it that. But what you're using him is the least advantageous situation possible for a defenseman. And that's where I do think a guy like Mark Giordano makes a ton of sense. Or even just a sturdy veteran defenseman that you know exactly what you're getting out of him. A better version of Robert Bortuzzo on the left side, basically. That's what I would be looking for. But I think the Blues have the benefit and the luxury of having another pair that is so good in one area. And that's the offensive zone in Tory Krug and Justin Falk. So the luxury that the Blues have is they don't have to use Colton Pareko in that spot. They they can notoriously use him in the defensive spot. The way he talked about Nico Mikola reminded me a lot of Carl Gunnarsson. And, and a lot of people would say, well, Carl Gunnarsson was a third-pairing defenseman. Carl Gunnarsson was playing with Alex Petrangelo in the Boston Bruins series. I mean, he was playing on that top pair with Alex Petrangelo. It's a guy that's vanilla. Jamie Rivers talks about it all the time. Vanilla ice cream. It's just always there for you, and you can always rely on it. Justin Braun. Oh, well, guess what? He's He's kind of like... He's the vanilla ice cream that's been in the back of the freezer that's got freezer burn to it. It's fine, but it's, it, the, it's the only thing that's in there until you go grocery shopping the next when week. When Andy's is closed, you're good. You can and, go ahead and crack, crack and that my, out. And when my headphones are dead and I don't want to go grocery shop, I'll just eat the freezer burned ice cream. But, like, you you know you could rely on Carl Gunnarsson. Was he a top-pairing defenseman? No. 
Of course not. But you knew he would get the job done for you, and you're not on the ice looking at it as like, oh, my God. get You're not doing with him like you're doing with Marco Scandella. And I hate to say it because Marco Scandella is a great guy, but you're watching Marco Scandella, and you're holding your breath saying, oh, my God, don't turn the puck over, don't turn the puck over. You're not doing that with Nico Mikola. And I think that's the perfect way to view the way that the situation the Blues have. If you can get a Giordano, great. But where I'm at on this end of the spectrum is if you can't get one of those guys, I'm not going to spend high high commodities for a Ben Sherratt. You're not getting Chikrin. If you can't get Mark Giordano, I'm not setting the world on fire saying this team will get bounced in the first round if you end up with a Justin Braun or a Zidane Chara because what you have in Nico Mikola is better than what people are giving him credit for. I think I'm out on Chara based on everything that we've heard from people that are located on the East Coast. Did you see him fight? He, <laughs> I know. The dude's a monster. I hear you. You I, want Mongoon. He's a Mongoon. I know Jamie, who I trust to the nth degree on any hockey knowledge likes him as well. But the guys who seem to watch him on a night in night out basis, I, there are just too many that are saying right now that the guy can't play anymore. So I, I think I might be out on Zidane Chara. coming out in, uh, up sure. in about 15 minutes. One's got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go, but coming up next is Dylan Carlson. The key to the offense, taking a step for the Cardinals next year. We'll tell you next on one one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So how do the Cardinals improve this offense in 2022 if they don't make significant upgrades from the outside so far? Uh, beat me to it. I was going to yell Carlos Correa. The only guy that they've added to their roster that wasn't here a year ago is Steven Matz. And Alex, I'm going to go out on a limb. I, I don't think he's going to be the answer for I mean, what plagued them offensively last year. Because he put the stinking DH in. It was cool. You know, it was cool. I like the addition. I think he's going to be good for them. I don't think that he's going to be the thing that ends up solving their offensive woes. But Jim Bowden of The Athletic, former Major League Baseball general manager, seems to believe that the guy that could do that, who could take that step forward, is Dylan Carlson. He wrote over the uh, the other day over at The Athletic, quote, after seeing Carlson hit 26 home runs, steal 20 bags, and post a 372 on base percentage in the minors in 2019, there was no doubt in my mind he could transfer that kind of production to the majors. Last year, he did to an extent. This year, I think you're going to see a whole new level that he can reach if he improves his hitting against the breaking ball. In 2021, he hit 290 with 15 home runs against fastballs, but he did struggle, hit 210 with two homers against breaking balls. As Carlson gains confidence and learns to stay back more at the plate, he should be able to make that adjustment. And if and when he does, we will be covering him at the All-Star Game in Los Angeles this summer. Oh. Jim Bowden going out on a limb saying if he ends up hitting breaking balls better this year, you're going to see Dylan Carlson as a legit all-star talent in 2022. Also going, also going out on a limb saying there's going to be an all-star game this year. <laughs> yeah, sadly, that is a fair point. Right, oh, T-Bone? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Alex Tanner, I'll go ahead and present you the question that we were talking about the other day in the office. Do you think Dylan Carlson is the guy that they're counting on right now to take that next step in order for the Cardinals offense to go from basically league average to a top five offense in the National League in 2022? I think he's the guy that they're relying on. I just don't know if he is that guy. And this is the part that I don't know because we've talked about Jeff Albert and the Matt Carpenter article. It really opened up my eyes in terms of, you know what? If these guys are going to buy into this system, they might see significant improvement. Could we see a Dylan Carlson have a Tyler O'Neill turnaround season? I absolutely think that's possible. I just don't know if he's a 
26, 30 home run guy. I think at his best season, his best season could be 25. But I think on average, you're probably looking at a 15 to 20 home run hitter for Dylan Carlson. But I'm not as worried about those bombs as much as I'm worried about his on-base percentage and his steals. I think he absolutely can be around 360, 370 on-base percentage and have 20 steals in the season. And to me, that's a significant turnaround for, for Dylan Carlson. So I think he can get there. It's just a matter of how much are we absolutely buying into this Jeff Albert idea. Yeah, see, I think he can get there. I, I just don't know if he can get all the way there for next season. I, I think he's probably two years away from reaching that. I think 2023 is probably the year that he can get there. But w- when I say that, I, I do think that Dylan Carlson plus I do believe Juan Yepes will be those guys that can kind of fill that role of having the not Dylan Carlson, all of that production that Jim Bowden's talking about. But I think Juan Yepes can help contribute to kind of picking up some of what Dylan Carlson can't get to for next year or Lars Nupar, that platoon at DH. I think those two guys can help the Cardinals do that, along with whatever Nolan Gorman's going to eventually contribute to this team. I, I truly believe that. And I know the text line is going to call me. I'm buying into what Mo's selling. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid because I'm going with all the young talent. But I truly believe, I mean, we had Kylie McDaniel on, uh, what was it, a week ago, two weeks ago, and he said yep. Juan Pez has, what was it, like 260, 20 home run power. Well, if Carlson doesn't reach the level that Jim Bowden's talking about, but he's about where he was last year, and Yepes can get close to what uh, Kylie McDaniel thinks he can be this season, then I don't necessarily need Dylan Carlson to completely be that only guy that takes the next step for the Cardinals offense to reach that pinnacle point. I need Carlson to take a step forward, and I also need Yepes, Gorman, and Newpar to kind of provide some contributions as well. I think what you're hoping for, is that he makes the same step against the breaking balls that you saw over the last two years from Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill. And it's no coincidence that we're talking about those outfielders all doing the same thing, and they're doing so under the tutelage of Jeff Albert. Over the last three years, here's what we've seen in terms of the boost from Harrison Bader against breaking balls. In 2019, he hit 135 against breaking balls. 2020, it didn't get a whole lot better, but better nonetheless. He was at 205 in his batting average against breaking balls. Last year, 250, and he had a slugging percentage that went from 185 in 2019 to 455 against breaking balls last year. He was pretty darn good against the breaking ball. Tyler O'Neill, basically the same story. 2019, he was hitting 175 against the breaking ball. 2020, 190 batting average against breaking balls. Last year, he hit 240, a totally reasonable batting average against breaking balls last season, and he had a percentage of 550 last year. We saw the same issues from Dylan Carlson. I remember when he first came up, it was slider away, slider away, curveball, slider away, slider away, curveball. They were throwing him no fastballs, and he wasn't able to make the adjustment early on, so much so that Dylan Carlson ended up getting sent back down to the minor leagues to just regain a little bit of confidence to maybe see a little, or down to the alternate side camp, to be able to reset himself mentally and physically. Well, last year, he had a pretty good season, objectively, for a rookie. But he still had some issues against the breaking ball. Basically, no power against it, and he hit 210. If you can get that up to where we saw Bader and O'Neill last year, where you're batting 240, 250, a respectable batting average, you're at least a threat to hit something that the opposing teams are giving you when it comes to the breaking balls. That's how you get Dylan Carlson from productive major leaguer, really solid starting right fielder, to, oh boy, this guy's an all-star. He might be somebody that can hit you 20 to 25 home runs on average every year. Maybe he can be a 20-20, 20 homer, 20 stolen base type of a guy. That's how you do it. 
I think Jim Bowden is absolutely right in his assessment of the player. I think Carlson has the potential to be an all-star this year, but the way that happens is he's got to fix the single biggest weakness in his game, and it's been his weakness since the moment that he stepped up to the big leagues. I just don't know if it's going to be this year. Like I could see this possibly two years, maybe three years. I just don't know if it's this year because I still think there's a, a learning curve for Dylan Carlson, uh, especially after a, a improved last season. I don't know if you would consider this his sophomore year, but I guess in terms of a full season it is. Um, you always see some type of step backwards before you step forward. So I don't know if it's this year. I, I think we're probably looking two or three years before Dylan Carlson's at that point. Yeah, and that's kind of where I am because I do believe Dylan Carlson is a potentially a future All Star. I mean, he's going to be here a long time. I think Danny Mac told agreed with that assessment too. You know, he's going to be here a long time as a St. Louis Cardinal, as an yeah. everyday right fielder, or at some point maybe potentially an everyday center fielder if need need be. But I I do think it may be just another year before we see him take that next step. I think you'll see slight improvements because I think he is going to take that next step. I mean, he is only going to be 23 this season so I think we're two years away but if he does do it this year I won't I won't be surprised because I think he's that elite of a talent I just think he's just maybe one more season away from being able to make the complete adjustment to where you see that power come against the breaking ball 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618 guys I hear you guys talking about these hitters batting 260 270 saying that's a good thing I agree that's probably where baseball is at right now and that is a good average for those guys but I remember going to games in 2010 2011 where the top five hitters in the Cardinals lineup were all batting around 300 if you ever see a time in the game where we need to go back to some of the basics this is the time to do so Uh, for what it's worth I I, I I agree with the assessment. Like it, the game's just changed, but the batting average that we were talking about was specifically against breaking balls. Where it's, I mean, everybody has a batting average that's pretty low in the game right now against the breaking balls and the off-speed pitches. Against fastballs, that's where you make your money if you're a hitter. The, the goal is basically be competent enough against off-speed and breaking ball pitches to force them to throw you something over the plate that's a fastball because that's where all of these players are making their money. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next, you give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. One got to go next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Everything's going awry. I just broke my chair. There's nuts and bolts going everywhere out here. Tanner's got the wrong bed for us. One's got to go. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. Let's start out with this one. One's got to go. Alex's favorite edition. Unique seltzer flavors. Mm. Spicy pineapple. Cucumber lime. Maple pear. Or raspberry grapefruit. <laughs> Which one's, one's got to go? Good Lord, all of those are awful. Cucumber lime is tremendous, and you saying otherwise actually makes me question our friendship. Uh, I've seen the cucumber lime swine that you drink every week, and it looks disgusting. It smells good. disgusting, too. Like good your kale you. drink that you drink all the time. Um, spicy pineapple's probably pretty good. 
I mean, the answer big, here for me is maple pear. Ma ma I don't need maple in yeah. my I'm in not, my seltzer. I can here's, do here's I can do a maple flavored old fashioned. I'm all right with that. I don't need it in my I'm seltzers. I'm not a big though. maple syrup guy. I'm not a big maple syrup what guy. What do you do on like pancakes or waffles or French toast? Whipped cream. No, God no. I, I do syrup on on waffles, pancakes. It depends. If it's blueberry waffles, I'll just put a nice uh, nice uh, heaping pile of powdered sugar on top of it. The same with French toast. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I'd get rid of that one because honestly, all of them other than the grapefruit one sounds awful. But maple and pear sounds pretty bad. Tanner. Oh yeah, you can't drink. You're only 18. Yeah. Yeah. Six five seven eight zero is the air covered service text line. For one's gotta go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's gotta go. I, this this is one that I never thought we would get on this show. One's gotta go. Laundry detergent edition. This is when you know you're washed. Tide gain all or arm and hammer. Excuse me. Hanner? Arm and hammer. Hammer's like Tanner. Alex, which one's gotta go? Uh, har arm and hammer has to go. I don't even think I've ever used that as laundry detergent. Can I be honest with you guys for a moment? Be super vulnerable. You don't, you, you don't wash your clothes. You just keep wearing them dirty. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's it, what that I was about to say. Right. I can honestly <laughs> say I've never seen all laundry detergent ever in my life. Really? So what? I guess that's the one that's got to go for me. I didn't know this was a thing until literally this where very do you, moment. Where do you I've get your laundry Tide, detergent from? Gain and Arm and Hammer. Hammer. I've used all three all of them. All is the big white bottle. Yeah. yeah. I all is what I usually use. That's what I, was I use. Unfamiliar. I was completely unfamiliar with this. I'm convinced you go down to the river and wash yeah, your clothes. I don't. I think you do old school style where you do it on that like little board in your backyard and you just use like a bar of I soap. I told you guys I was being being vulnerable for a moment. Is that why I, like on Tuesdays I, myself, you don't respond to text for a while? It's because you're down at the river doing your laundry. Yeah, that that actually correct. makes a lot of sense. On Sundays, T-Bone, we don't hear from him until like eight o'clock. It's true. It's true. Pro you're probably doing your laundry and yeah. probably fishing for dinner for the rest That's of the correct. week. That's correct. <laughs> oh, cool. uh, Six five seven eight zero is the air covered service. Like, Line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. One got to go at home workout edition. Tanner's done none of these ever in his <laughs> life. So he's out on this one. But Alex, I have a beer at least T-Bone hasn't broken a chair. Yeah. P90 Tech, P90X. Don't you insult P90X. I'm not. Peloton, Tonal, or Total Gym. Which one's got to go? What's Total Gym? I had to look this up as well. What's I Tonal? I think if I'm... Tonal is the like one the that's on mirror. the wall. Yeah, I love oh, that okay. That's okay. not going anywhere. I think Tonal Gym is the Pilates one. Oh, okay. That one's got to go then. I'm not a big Pilates guy. Total Gym. Uh, if it wasn't Pilates and if it was something else, I probably would get rid of Peloton because P90X does all of it. Peloton does too. Everything you can do on yeah. P90X, you can do on Peloton. No, that's not true. That's just go true. ride your bike outside. That's, that's just not true. Yeah, go ride your bike every once in a while. Peloton's also a system which has workout classes, which is all that P90X includes. It's not. It's not the same thing. P90X go back to 2012 with your P90X nonsense, it's Alex. It's fantastic. Tony Horton is a stud. He keeps me in shape. Also kicks my ass every once in a while with, with plyometrics, you know? Hurts. I've heard something so about So I'm getting that. rid of Total Gym. I'm, I'm getting rid of this tonal. Guy. I don't get the tonal thing, man. I know you, Alex it's has literally been telling a, me. It's literally a Peloton on the wall. Alex has been telling me for weeks about how he's got months, really. I Years. really want this tonal no, thing. I can't afford like, it. Alex, it, it's three grand. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
How much was your Peloton? Not three grand. Yeah, it's like $1,200. No. Uh, yes, which is like less than half of that. Um, tonal. Tonal's the thing better. I don't understand about the tonal is how it's stable on your wall. You've got this. It's it basically the... a video screen, and all of the weights are held within that. So, hey, man, this is just me being like. Well, BK, they build your house with with studs behind the do- the walls. I understand. And this connects to the studs of your house. I understand. I'm just not sure that I would get a great workout for, from this thing this tonal thing i i'm i'm out on that so tonal is the one that's got to go for me six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line for one's he gotta said, go you don't do any of those one yeah. gotta go six five seven eight oh how does bk do the rest of the show the rest of the day standing sitting on the floor leaning on the wall or hopping on one leg all of those gotta go i'm sitting the chair might be broken but it's fine everything's fine over i here. think though i think hopping on one leg would have to go because that would distract me one's gotta go Chips edition. Doritos, Cheetos, Fritos, or Tostitos. Doritos, dips? Cheetos, Fritos, or, or is Tostitos. this just straight chip? No dip. You can you can take this however on, you'd man. like you to. Man. Give some scenarios here. T-Bone, because BK keeps skipping over you, I'd like you to answer this oh, one. You mean I finally get to participate in One's Gotta Go? We talked about spicy pineapple seltzers, which he can't drink because he's 20. That's true. At-home workouts, which he, which doesn't, he doesn't do. do. And laundry detergent, which, which he, he doesn't answered. do. I know. Yeah, I did answer. No, you didn't. I got you to talk about laundry detergent. detergent like an old guy. Which which chips got to go, Tanner? Uh, I think it's got to be. I think I'm going with Fritos. Okay. I'm not well, a big Fritos fan. Skip I'm, over I'm just not on. a big Fritos fan. Tostino's got to stay. Cheetos got to stay. Fritos are the uh, ultimate dip chip. No, no. Yes. Tostinos are the ultimate the dip chip. The only time that I eat Fritos is when I'm having chili. See, even then, I don't even do that I have Fritos. Even then, I just put, uh, like, oyster crackers in my... So, so no, they, they got to go. You guys are terrible. Tostitos have to go here. What? Tostitos have what? to go here. Yeah. Tostitos have to go here. The, 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 what? The Frito is the ultimate your dip chip. You got Doritos. You got Cheetos. What do, Tostitos have to go. What do you use Fritos for? Dip. Yeah, like I understand. You said people. dip 17 times. What dips are you eating with Fritos? French onion dip. Ranch dip. That's Guacamole? Dip? Don't you just use the regular like ridged chips for those? Yeah, like Lay's. They're better. No, Fritos. They're better. No, they're they're very much not. That, yeah, yeah no. they are. Do you not eat chips and salsa? I do, but not as with much Fritos? as I eat chips with dip, like Fritos. You eat Fritos more often than you eat chips and salsa or Strip. chips and guac. Yeah. Okay. I don't go. I don't go to, to uh, Mexican restaurants that often. This is why you have to work out. I, I a eat lot. them at home. Quite often. You know what? That's probably why you broke the chair. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a totally fair point. Uh, for me, the Fritos got to go. I, I can again. I honestly can say I eat them like maybe once a year, maybe. And that and that might be on the high end for me. So for me, the Fritos are definitely the one that's got to go. Coming up next. Do Justin Falk and Tory Krug make it more important to have a stay-at-home defensive defenseman? I think you can make a case for this, and I'll try to make it to Alex next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
101 ESPN right now is your chance to win a pair of passes to a session of your choice for the 2022 State Farm Missouri Valley Conference Men's Basketball Tournament. Arch Madness coming to Enterprise Center next Thursday through Sunday. March Madness begins here with a 32nd annual MVC tournament. You can find a bonus chance to win free tickets to Arch Madness now at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. All you got to do is be texter number 101 at 65780. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. If you can tell us the team that Mike McKenna said has the worst jerseys in the NHL, and you know that in your section number 101, you're getting the pair of passes to see the MVC tournament next weekend. Alex, before we get out of here and hand things over to the fast lane, I just wanted to say one thing. We talked with Dave Reed earlier today, former NHL player, and he talked about, hey, you know, in the in the playoffs, you might have a situation where you want a guy like Miko Mikola to be more situational. You might want him to have more offensive zone start opportunities. That's, for me, the biggest reason why I think this team needs to make a trade. It's not so much anymore about his performance so much as it is I just want the stability. And when you're looking at the way that the Blues play their defensemen right now, there are very few defensive pairings in the league that have more offensive zone start percentage time than Justin Falk and Tori Krug. There are literally only three defensive pairings in the league right now that have more defensive zone start percentage than Colton Pareko and Nico Mikola. For that reason, I think it makes it that much more important that you get a guy like Giordano or just a veteran stable defenseman that can be uh, a little bit more sturdy back there with Pareko once you get into the playoffs. Yeah, and I can understand that completely. And if Mark Giordano's the guy and you feel like it's there for you, then I'd say go for it. Go all in for it there. But I also feel like that the improvements we've seen since the calendar year with Pareko and Mikola on the defensive side, if that's where they're notoriously starting, I think the Blues have something going right now that I just don't know if I would want to disrupt. Whereas if I can add somebody, maybe not have to pay a heavy cost, but can make my team significantly better in terms of a third-pairing defenseman, I might take that avenue rather than go for the guy to play with Colton Pareko and disrupt what's building between him and Mikola. A couple more opportunities to see the Blues this weekend. You'll see him with Ville Husso in net tonight. Excited to get Jamie Rivers in the fast lanes. Thoughts on that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back on Monday at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Like, and everyone on the bench like, ah. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.